Welcome back to 1010's podcast with Michael and Robbie. And no Adam this week. No Adam. Um, I think he alluded to it in previous episodes, but he's been working quite a bit because we had some storm damage in Iowa due to some tornadoes, and he deals with with fiber and internet stuff. Um, But uh, he's trying to restore services to people in Iowa um, who don't have internet kind of important in this day and age you know just kind, for, of, kind of a necessity now yeah yep absolutely but we do have andrew rains um i suppose he's not here in the studio with us he's on the phone um but i suppose he's our third host for today he is um he's with apex pro um specifically in, in marketing and sales um kind of a little bit of everything but andrew we appreciate you joining us this week yeah i appreciate it guys coming all the way from uh from alabama so i'm just yelling really loudly so that yeah, it works, it works like out perfectly. Good, good enough for us. Yeah, I can hear you loud cool. and clear. Um, awesome. We were just talking about before we started the show. You had done. You had used a VR setup for iRacing. Yeah, so like a week ago, it's, it's crazy. Um, a couple of buddies of mine uh, have a, a chump car, so we're running an E36 BMW at the 24 Hours race at VIR next weekend. And I went over to one of their houses to do a like kind of prep, do some some sim time. And I uh, got on the VR setup, and it totally blew my mind. So I don't know how many people out there have had the chance to do that, but total, like, mind, it just messes with your mind. Like, I went into turn one, leaving pit lane at VIR, and when I hit the brake pedal, I, like, got nervous like I would, like, on cold tires in a race car. Like, did I brake early enough? <laughs> it was crazy. We're, we're looking at a picture of it. Is that on iRacing site, or where is that? I don't, I don't know. I just googled. <clears throat> I just to Google. It's basically a. It's a screen. Um, is he wearing an Oculus? Yeah, he's using the Oculus from the place. So he's got a screen, I assume, so other people can watch what he's doing. But he's got an Oculus on um, to do the the VR portion of it. Is that was that your experience with it, Andrew? Did we lose you? I still got you, sort of. <laughs> sort of. <Every> now and then. <laughs> can you hear us? Yeah. Now yes. Okay. Did you use an Oculus Rift for your uh, for your VR experience on iRacing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I think it was an Oculus. It, it was crazy because I, you have to actually like turn your head. You know, when you're driving on the on a track and you come, it's like a ninety degree corner. You know, you turn, you physically turn your head. You know, in the direction that the track goes. And I wasn't doing that, so I kept just like like turn four at VIR or a couple other corners. Just kept. The, like totally missing the apex and like blowing the corner. And it's cause I didn't realize I could like actually turn my head and like I was in a real car. So it was like this weird blend of like almost too much reality for being stationary in a room. It was crazy. Does it give you a full 360 view or is it kind of cut out oh, at yeah. a certain point? 360? Everything. So like we were in the, the MX five and I could see the sky through the, you uh, look straight up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And like the transmission tunnel, you could see all the way behind you. It was it was it was pretty crazy. I I had a uh, interesting experience. It took me a while to kind of get used to it. I'm not um, I haven't kept up my eye racing habit over the past year and a half or so. Is your uh, is your depth perception better with an Oculus? I know like when I'm doing um, like Gran Turismo on my simulator with, without an Oculus, it uh, that's my when I don't do it for a while and then I come back. It, I have a really hard time with depth perception right off the bat. I'm just curious if the the VR makes it better or worse. You know, it, it honestly was still like the, I guess the best way to describe it is it, it still felt the same. There was just like an extra element of realism, but like the, um, the way I was perceiving like the brake markers and the different like visuals of the track were still pretty much the same as, as they normally would be with the screen. I gotcha. But 
Yeah, so it didn't really affect it that much, but the death reception, but it definitely was was super crazy. Like I could see how people could become like totally obsessed with that and, and like live in that world. It was cool. Yeah, it's kind of a reality, but it's not. You know what I mean? It's lacking some real fundamental issues, you know what I mean, that yeah. they, they need to address. Like how do you actually create depth in, you know, in a realm where the screen is literally right in front of your eyes? Because your eyes are not changing right. you know to look at that screen so and yeah. and you can do stuff like have an actual focal point in built into the programming you know so that you you kind of visualize a vocal point but you can't adjust that with your mind you know what i mean right that's a pretty massive hurdle to try to get over before you you make vr you know like reality right uh, uh, every time but, i see one of those setups i'm i'm ready to just spend all the money and do it but man I just can't. <laughs> do you think I, it was? Want to. Do you think it was worth yeah. it, Andrew? Uh, you know, if if I was like really serious, and if so, if I if I was still, I guess, competing professionally, like racing professionally on a regular basis, and that sort of thing, honestly, it probably would be because the like, uh, like the transfer of of like how you physically drive the car, it adds that extra element of like turning your head and like preparing yourself for the next like set of corners, and like, like I could see how even if you're like drifting or autocrossing or something like that it would be really applicable because you kind of coordinate that extra element of the like turning because you know when i when i instruct people spend a lot of time um on the skid pad i work for um for porsche at barber motorsports park for the for the porsche track experience and um we do a lot of work like that and you just like focus on getting people to turn their head and so the vr like was really nice for that which i've never experienced that before which I could imagine would make it easier to translate into driving a real car. But, um, you know, I, for me personally, I'm, you know, starting like, you know, running a, a small growing business and that sort of thing, probably not, but for someone that, you know, makes reasonable money and has some to spend, I think that's a, probably a pretty good investment. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so you've had an interesting pro motorsports career. Um, you started out, I mean, fairly young probably when a lot of us started kind of around the end of high school um you know moving out of college you started with autocross yeah. didn't you yeah actually uh my my buddy that um i'm still friends with now i see him at the track all the time um he had a had a civic like a an automatic civic and i went out and did an autocross with him and went faster than him in the car i'm sure he'll appreciate hearing that on, on my first day there and i was like you know what i should probably do this so that that kind of set the hook did you have, after that. but you had some family influence in racing too. Yeah. My dad, my dad, um, raced when I was really young. So I, uh, first car I remember seeing was his 944 turbo. And I remember hearing like, you know, I didn't know what it was at the time when I was four or five years old, but like just the kind of raspy verbally exhaust note and the way the turbo would spool up and stuff from the time I was, so I was pretty much hopeless you know, from day one because of that influence. And he, uh, he kind of got involved his bank. Actually, he, he's a banker. The bank he worked for sponsored a couple of cars at, um, Barbara motorsports park. I'm, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, just to like preface the whole thing. So we got Alabama and Iowa here. We're really like the, the creme de la creme of the States as far as <laughs> reputation goes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but people don't know that it's awesome here. So don't tell them that Birmingham's cool. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of hopeless. Uh, as far as getting involved with motorsports, it just kind of uh, became a natural, like, well, I guess this is life. <laughs> so you, you autocross with your buddy. He had a Civic. Did you, at that point, decide that you had to buy a race car for yourself? 
Uh, sort of. So I, I, I'm not the kind of person that does anything halfway. So like I, I got into it and I liked it and I was like, yeah, this is, this is something I have to do. Um, so I basically made a deal with my dad that if I got a scholarship to college and got a 4.0 my senior year of high school, we would buy, um, like a, a project car, which we didn't really define. It was like quote unquote project car. Um, and we ended up with a, with two actually, because you always have to get two. had two, uh, Alfa Romeo GTVs, a 72 and a 74. One was race prepped and one was a, a street car. And that's what I, uh, I, I quickly learned about rust and how reliable Italian things are. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. From there. Yeah. Living that same lifestyle that I did for a while. <laughs> you have a 124, right? Yeah, I've got a 124, which has actually been cool. a great car. Um, I've had some other, we've had several 124s, um, over the course of my racing career. And, um, a lot of them don't exist anymore cause they've been crushed. So it's kind of a case of, you know, <laughs> trying to save one by killing five other ones sort of thing. Um, we've got one that's in pieces at the moment that we're that, getting a that's motor. That's crazy. So did, did you do like Weber's and stuff? Yeah. So I've got dual Weber's on the one that I race. Um, for a while I had a single Weber, but I was having some fueling issues. Um, it was actually a weird scenario. So it'd be like off, it'd be off camber corners for some reason that would like close the floats in the carburetor. And that was, you were done. I mean, it would shut the engine down. <laughs> um, so that was bad. So then I went to, went to, um, a dual Weber setup. And to be honest with you, I haven't had really haven't had any problems with it at all. It's been oh, excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Um, thing sounds crazy. Weber's are, are the way to go. It sounds good. I drove it on the street the other day cause I haven't raced it a ton cause I've kind of gotten out of autocross and just really haven't done any track day stuff with it. Cause I've been working on the RX seven, the drift car. Um, and it, it, it's a slow car, you know, it's probably slow, like a Miata slow. Um, and it, but it really likes just being beat to death, which is okay on, you know, like a County highway because it's not, you're not endangering anybody by, you know, by driving it, you know, by flooring it. Whereas if you have, a GTR or something like that, and you're driving around at that level, you're, I mean, you're doing 110 miles an hour. It's, it's dangerous. So, but yeah, I had, I had a really good experience with mine. That's all. Those are such like beautiful little cars too. My, um, one of my roommates in college had a 124 and he, uh, he was, he was not the kind of guy to like really take great care of stuff. Cause I, I ended up riding one of his dirt bikes at one point and I was like, Oh, I bet his 124 is in about the same state of repair as this, uh, this old Husqvarna dirt bike, which was not good. Like blowing stuff like liquid out of the exhaust and yeah, all sorts of stuff. But they're, they're such cool cars. But my, uh, so my alpha had a, um, it was crazy. The race car had still had the mechanical injection. It was a GTV in, in the zone, which was injection and, um, had a terrible mechanical injection system, but this thing had been set up for SCCA ITB, which mean like meant you couldn't go to the Weber setup. Uh, so we had this basically a, a mixture control knob out of a Cessna 172, like out of an airplane to, to lean and enrich and the fuel <laughs> mixture on the dash. That's hilarious. <laughs> it was the craziest thing. You sent that note to me and I was like, how, how could they have used that? Because actually on my car before, so I don't have choke at all now in my car. Um, I don't know if those dual Webers ever had choke to be honest. Um, but some of the carburetors that we had on that car did, and we had something that would kind of look like a Cessna 172, you know, fuel, fuel trim knob that you would slide in and out, you know, to, to physically move that choke closed. Um, so yeah, it's in that I've never heard of that before. Um, but that's, that's pretty cool. 
it, it's, I dig it's that. wild. It, it'd be like at wide open throttle and, and, uh, my crew chief, that's a good friend of mine forever ago. Like I have tons of really interesting stories about him, but, um, Lee Hurley, he, he used to build race cars for the Allison brothers in NASCAR. He was kind of part of the Alabama gang back in the day, um, in the seventies when, when that was a thing. And, uh, he built this car and, you know, the thing you would go out and run it pretty rich just to get it to idle. And you could lean it out so much while you were on the track that it wouldn't idle when you came back in the pits and, but it would make like 20 more horsepower. Yeah. I mean, it was so, but I had to do it at wide open throttle and you couldn't reach the knob while you were strapped in. So you had to loosen up. I'd be on the backstretch at road Atlanta with my foot pinned to the floor, loosening up my belts, letting the car just like tram line down the backstretch, trying to lean out the mixture and read the EGT gauges. And he would ask me on the radio, you run at 1400 yet? You know, like want to know the temperature of the exhaust gas. I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm just trying to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's super safe, especially in a 40 year old Italian car. Yeah. There's a, a loose formation of parts flying in the same direction. It wasn't really one cohesive car. Yeah. It's kind of like you got the rear end and yeah, but it was an awesome car, man. It was, I had a great experience with it. It was like a great way to get into it and learn. Cause I broke everything on the car and had to learn either how to fix it or that I wasn't capable of fixing it or, you know, I learned something from it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was cool. It's, it's interesting to hear somebody else have that experience because as a car, they're not very good, you know, objectively as a, as a object that's supposed to take you from point A to point B, Italian cars are fairly poor at that. Um, but if, if you can put them together, they can make some really rewarding race cars. Um, yeah. there, there's a lot to love about them. Um, they're just a lot of work. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sure your car's this way. It's like just super rewarding to drive. Like the, I guess the emotional, like the, the thing that a lot of modern cars miss, I guess, is that like emotional connection, which is like, you know, depending on the temperature, the car is going to make different noises and like smell different. And like, you don't get that with modern cars, but a seventies, like Italian sports car, that's like, you have to be attuned to that stuff or something could go wrong. And you're going to like, you're going to have some like U joints in the drive shaft go out if you can't sense the right vibration or something, you know, and fix it in time or whatever. So that, that definitely helped me. Cause now like running on this endurance team, I drove our, our car like a while ago during like a test day. And I came back in, I was like, I think the throw out bearings going out. And they're like, what? that's really specific. How do you know that? I was like, I, I don't know. I, that's just what I think. And they got it apart and sent me a picture of the bearing. They're like, how did you know? <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I was like, I, I don't know. I drove an alpha. It, it happened. You all have to pay attention to those things. Yeah. It, it trained your mind in a different way, you know, than driving a, a modern car may have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm like the exact opposite of like a, a lot of people I ended up racing against that, that came up with like, kind of barely knew how to drive an H pattern on the racetrack. I came from like, I had to double clutch downshift the first time I drove my alpha on track. So it's like a total, uh, opposite end of the spectrum approach, but I definitely appreciate it. It's very, very helpful. So you raced formula SAE for a while, or I guess were you, you were in the program, obviously. So you had to do the whole experience. Whole, the whole deal. Yeah. yeah. So we built the car and, uh, I, I ended up being the, the team leader, the team captain, even though I was a business. So like, yeah, I, I do marketing and sales now and I have a marketing degree. So I don't, and still don't really know the first thing about the engineering process really more than what I need to know from, a um, like a marketing and sales perspective. But I ended up like, just because of my passion for race cars and stuff, ended up learning kind of, kind of the, like 
you know, how you go through the design process and building the car from the ground up, which is again, like another experience. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing with apex now if I hadn't had that experience. Cause now I have a, a baseline kind of understanding of like vehicle dynamics and tires and suspension and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I, so I was just basically a, a team member and drove the car because uh, I had some other, I had, ex- I had experience driving my very refined Alfa Romeo race mm-hmm. car. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, was there an incident with that car? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was. <laughs> it was the, the first time that I hit on a nurse in the hospital, actually. Um, the first So time. you made, so what you're telling me is that you, uh, you, you, you made a positive out of a negative basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the story is, is really juicy because it, uh, basically the exhaust bung, um, came off that so the car if you can just imagine this i'm sitting in this carbon tub built by like 10 22 year old guys in a shop um on campus at, at auburn university and uh basically we, were, we built the car so that the engine where the exhaust came out of this yamaha r6 power plant was directly up against my back and the engine was actually cradled in the monocoque chassis so it was it was a stress member of the chassis um, which meant we could take off like 20 pounds of steel, you know, suspension, stuff like that. Um, and so the exhaust bung actually popped off. So the headers started, like one of the headers fell off um, cause they're all like independently welded. It was this intricate, you know, exhaust system. And so basically there was like a 1400 degree flame shooting straight into the small of my back just with carbon fiber in between. And yeah, it was, it was wild. So was there anything else to the hospital story? <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, just kind of stopped. Got to let that open ended. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we almost, we almost, we would have won the competition overall. The, the, the race event, uh, formula say Lincoln, this is in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, uh, we're up there like where they do nationals for autocross. And, uh, and, and we came like within a quarter of a lap of finishing the endurance event. And that was when, my back like had been like just like scorched. And so I remember looking at the temperature gauge on the dash and I kept, I kept radioing in like the, the car's not overheating, but I'm really hot. You know, like, I'm really effing hot. <laughs> and just like kept saying that over and over again, I had to cycle the power on the car to keep it running. And I got out and somebody else looked at my back, I pulled my suit down and looked at my back and they're like, Oh dude, I think you have a problem. Like, there's a, there's a welt, like a massive welt in the middle of your back. And like, I had the, just like adrenaline. I didn't know. So I, I ended up going to the ambulance and they looked at me and they're like, yeah, you should like, we're not going to take you to the hospital. Cause we don't want to chart like, you don't want to deal with that on your insurance, but you should go to the emergency room. <laughs> like it's not super sensitive that we have to take you there, but you should go. Um, so I ended up going and that was when I was sitting on a, on like the examination table with my shirt off and this nurse kept walking by and I kept trying to kind of, kind of make eye contact with her. And I kind of had like that James Hunt, like scene from rush replaying in my mind. Which that movie would have come out like six months earlier, and I was like, "Oh, I'm totally doing that." <laughs> That's Robbie's favorite movie. It is. It's a great scene. That's <laughs> a great scene. It didn't work out that way. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Never does. <laughs> Unfortunately, none of us are James Hunt. I think ultimately not, is the not problem. That smooth. <laughs> Never yeah. been that smooth. Yeah, well, I listened to your episode with Freddie Hunt, so maybe he could give us some lessons. But yeah, I, I'm sure I, he could. Didn't have that gift. That could be a whole other episode. Just it could be. Freddie Hunt teaches us how to pick up girls. That's that, <laughs> that's that side podcast we've been threatening to start. That's that's related to all other things. It's everything but cars. Yeah, prepare to be offended <laughs> because this is this is 
40% cars at best. So we yeah. just figured maybe we could split that off, make it a different podcast, and then this might actually be about cars at some point. Nobody wants that. I don't think I would, anybody I would listen to that. So. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the problem. I think that would be more popular. Yeah, than we'd the be car done, with, done with the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, okay. So, you did, you, you've done autocross, you did Formula SAE, you raced the Alphas. Um, you know, obviously, you've had a, a pro level career. So, how did you transition into that? Yeah. So, I, I actually was pretty, still, still pretty active at Formula SAE. I did that for like three or four years while I was in college and uh, was kind of ready to like not be, uh, not committed. My, you know, not have my entire life committed to doing formula and I wanted kind of a year to be a college student because uh, it's kind of a for anyone out there that's listening that's involved in formula say they know what I'm talking about but it's it's not technically a fraternity but it's basically you know like a uh, there's elements of like the social fraternity aspect of it but it's also just like a really intense project and you learn so much from it it's kind of an addiction so it just your whole life kind of starts to center around it so um I met some people through Formula SA. So I worked on the pit crew for APR Motorsport. They used to run, uh, they ran an Audi R8 in Grand Am, and they had a, a Continental Tire team for a couple of years. They ran like Volkswagens. Oh, that's um, that's goapr.com or whatever they do the, the yeah. tuning. Yeah. 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 They're, they're big. Uh, they're based in Opelika, Alabama. They're a big okay. um, aftermarket parts company for Volkswagen, Audi, um, you know, VW Auto Group stuff. And uh, that was, we kind of, um, use some of their resources for the formula team. They would do like SLA, you know, 3d printed stuff for us. And we would use their dyno and other stuff like that. So got to know those guys and, um, worked as part of the pit crew for, for about a, for a year or so. And then ended up actually when they liquidated their race team, they, they like dropped everything, got out of racing super quick. Um, I went up to see what all they had. Cause I, I was running a, so I graduated from the alpha to a late model stock car of all things, a road course um, stock car. Because uh, I'm from Alabama, and that's like <laughs> it's available. Right down here. <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> uh, so that's that's what I was doing. That, uh, they're yeah, they're very fun. available here too. Oh, I yeah. mean, if that's well, oh, not yeah. not a stock car, but you know, like a tube chassis style car. We sprint cars, stuff sprint like that. cars. We build uh, Des Moines. They build a lot of them because um, of you know um, Boone. What what do they call that raceway in Boone? Boone Speedway. Is it Boone Speedway? I'm, that's okay. wrong. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but. Anyway, it's it's a part of race culture that we keep threatening to check out, and then we don't. Yeah, we but, need to. So anyway, we understand the the tube chassis. To yeah, some yeah. That, so that was like a whole a whole year of my life dedicated to learning uh, stock car setup. But this the stock car that I had, actually, a guy messaged me today. The guy that I sold it, I sold it to a guy, and then the guy that messaged me today actually bought it from this guy. And he's like, "Hey, well, look what I ended up with." But it was a 2004 Ford Taurus body on a. A, a wide set late model road course chassis. So it was never built to be a left-hander. It was a road course car and mm. it was 2,800 pounds. So it was like under 3000 with me in it and huge, huge Hoosier slicks and 500 horsepower. And it handled like on new tires, it handled like a Miata. I mean, it like a, like a tight corner, like just at the apex of the corner, you could just slap the throttle to the floor and it would hook up. It was it was absurdly fun and just like a four speed crash box, no clutch. So left foot braking, the whole, the whole shebang. It was like a, it was a total, the first, I, I went to Daytona because Daytona is only like an eight or nine hour drive from, from Birmingham. So it's, it's totally doable. And we ran a couple uh, weekends at Daytona and I had like that days of thunder moment, you know, getting out on, <laughs> on the bank. Like, like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> uh, it, it was a, 
really so anybody that's listening or like if you guys have even ventured down that path if anyone asks you like how that world looks i guess it's it's really um like it, it was the most affordable race car that i own more so than the alpha because it never broke um it was just like you can get everything from jegs and summit and it's all really mm-hmm. affordable and it makes a ton of power and it was lightweight and it handled good and once you kind of figure out the intricacies of the chassis and um, you know it's like driving a semi truck with a steering like you might as well have a tennis ball on it and like <laughs> rotate it around you know like <laughs> um, after you figure that out it's tons of fun was it just a small block ford yeah yeah it was a, it was a 363 small block ford revved to 6500 rpm uh, probably made 420 horsepower at the wheels and yeah weighed 2800 pounds without driver so it it would, it would go pretty good it was it was always fun because i started out um, doing track days with the Porsche club. Cause that was one of the strongest groups down here at the time and knew some people that did events with them. So I ran the stock car with the Porsche club every now and then. And, uh, those guys didn't, they tried to like put me in my own group. You know, I guess it wasn't a lot of fun when like this, you know, like absurdly loud, unmuffled stock car just comes storming past your pristine 911 on the front stretch at Barber. That's probably not, Owning a Porsche is, you know, kind of like a lifestyle. It's a club, and that 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 is an affront to their, um, that's an affront to their lifestyle. How they <laughs> yeah, like to do exactly. this, you know what I mean? Not that I, I, I think so. Not that I don't want a Porsche. I'm just saying, like it's a, you know, it's a different realm. Yeah, and, and they were all kind of, you know, like at, at first they're like, oh, whoa, that's that, because of course I put on like the entrant thing, you know, when you register for the event, I put 2004 Ford Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. You're that guy that Hayward <laughs> Wagner was talking about last yep. week. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my shtick. Was, but eventually, so I'm I'm a Porsche Club member now. I have a I own a 944 now, and I'm a I work for for Porsche, so I, I'm obviously uh, I like the brand. You're a but Porsche. Yeah, guy. they, yeah, they, they, they the were kind of like now. like you were saying at first. They're like, "Whoa, that's not us. That's not how we do it." And eventually, by the end of the weekend, they're like, "That thing's pretty cool." <laughs> how, how do you like fun. your 944 Turbo? Jeez, we're going down uh, this path. Yeah, we never it's, talked to anybody about awesome. Porsches before. <laughs> and my secret affinity for Porsches—it's come up slightly before, but it's just not not a Porsche podcast. It is now. Well, well yeah, <laughs> I think you probably heard us say on previous shows that like eighty percent of car podcasts are Porsche podcasts. Mm. So if we've you, we've you made beat them. Join. We've em. made a not a real hard effort, but we've kind of made an effort to to avoid Porsche. <laughs> yeah. Just because well, we don't want to be like yeah. you don't want to. It's one of those things where you literally don't want to be like everybody else because yeah. what's the point of having... We've already heard this from those guys. Right, yeah. yeah. So why don't you do give a different perspective on a different yeah. brand or something. It could be the Miata podcast. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, <laughs> there's, no, there's none of those. It's <laughs> <laughs> 911s or Miatas. There's no in-between. Yeah. So anyway, I would, yeah. Like, I, would, I would like to know about the 944 Turbo. Yeah. So, well, the cool thing about the transaxle Porsches, you know, the, the 924, the 944, 968, 928, is that they're kind of like they were supposed to replace the 911 back in the day. So... Mm-hmm. Like a lot of like every now and then I'll, I'll see like a 911 on the road and I'll try and wave at them, you know, and they just <laughs> like, I don't know what that thing is. <laughs> um, so I feel like it's kind of almost more of an insult. It's probably insults the, the pure non like pure Porsche guys more to talk about 944s than anything else. Uh, so maybe that's a good, a good strategy. But it's I mean, it, it's just an awesome car like the. I guess there's a reason people always end up talking about Porsches and it, it kind of like, I was like, I, I never really drove them on track for 
until a couple of years ago. And so I really didn't get it. You know, I was like, I like the cars cause like who doesn't like the way a 911 looks obviously. But, um, like I didn't, I didn't really it quite, it didn't quite compute. And now that I've owned a couple of them and I've, I drive the cars on the track and kind of like, Oh, there's a reason I, I get it. It's not just like marketing. Well, it is, but it's not, you know, um, I, I, the, the thing that strikes me about my cars is a 170,000 mile car. And, uh, like, I don't really know that much about the ownership history and it has the best, when you close the door, the thing sounds like it is built of like a solid block of billet aluminum. Like it just, it's so solid and, and it gives you confidence that like gives you confidence in the whole car. You're like, yeah, yeah. I drive the same cross country. No, not worried about it. Uh, so yeah. And it's got a big turbo on it. It's the turbo S. So it, it goes in a straight line and it doesn't, I, I drive it back and forth to Atlanta all the time. Done. Yeah. Is it it's a good car. stock or is it modified? It's uh, it's relatively stock. So the, the cool thing about the 944 turbo is all you have to do to get 50 more horsepower is slap a chip in the, in the fuel computer. Um, and it had a chip in it. So it was making 300 pound feet of torque on a completely stock car that originally made 250 pound feet of torque, you know, from the factory 180,000 miles ago and 30 years ago. Was that, um, so on the 944 in the turbo S, is that the three liter? Uh, it's a two and a half liter still. Okay. Uh, but it's, yeah, but it, it has forged. Um, so yeah, of course now I'm going into like Porsche guy spiel. I yeah. know too much about it. <laughs> That's like okay. I've got, I've still more questions about displacement. <laughs> yeah. So continue. Yeah. It's got forged rods and, and, uh, and like the, the bottom ends beefed up and the turbo S is pretty cool. Cause it's got like uh, additional seam welding on the chassis and uh, big roll bars, adjustable shocks all around. All from all from the factory. Factory limited slip. It's got a hardened first and second gear transmission cooler. So it's it's like like the the base 944 turbo didn't have any of that stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's like a, a bump above. But the, the turbo lag is real. It's like really really real, um, which I I think is cool. But yeah, I was gonna say, is that really a, a bad thing? I mean, it's an 80s car. So what? Yeah. You know, you kind of like expect deal. that. Yeah. Yeah. I need I need a mustache and like a jean jacket and yeah yeah why not yeah. double Sell denim just, just live that just life. double down on the denim absolutely yeah. can you grow yeah. a mustache because that might be a good look just just yeah. rock it the whole time I'll, I'll buy a fake one if i can't uh, i'll just get the whole thing going because I, th- I think that would people would expect that when they see me because it's like the car is old enough now people don't know what it is sometimes like if they do they're like oh man that's cool and if they don't they're like why is that car, that car like so much smaller than everything else on the road and like looks like a back to the future movie. You know, it's like no one gets it. It does look, I think that's probably why, like honestly, and it's the same thing for people that like, if you daily a Miata or like a 240 SX or like the brave souls out there that drive like 240 Zs and stuff on the road, it's like you pull up to, you park it in a parking lot with all the other cars and you walk away looking at it and you're like, yeah, that's right. That's my, it doesn't look like any, like everything else. It's like a toaster compared to it. Yeah. I was just thinking about that the other day. I, I didn't really appreciate 90s cars when I was growing up, but I think that general appreciation for 90s, late 80s, you know, early 90s cars is really going to come around and it's going to reach its peak because I don't know that as, as far as like design, um, there were some really fantastic designs. There wasn't a lot of crash safety specifications at that point. So, like, your A-pillars are really thin. You got a lot of glass. There's not a lot of protection in your doors. You know, the car is pretty light. Um, You know, just for the sake of 
having a race car or a fast car, it's a great place to start, you know, and you still had a lot of chassis technology that had been developed at that point. You have a lot of engine options. Um, there's a lot of really cool front, front engine rear wheel drive cars during that time. Yeah, absolutely. Robbie, don't you have a, a 240 SX? Yeah, I got a 95 240. Sweet. So I, I totally understand what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, at, well, I get in the RX-7 and I look at how small the A-pillars are and I'm like, this makes a great race car. It probably makes a terrible car. <laughs> I don't want to crash this with, without a cage. With no yeah. roll cage, yeah, it makes a terrible car. I don't know that I'd want to drive it around, you know, All on the, the interstate a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I just get in and I go, man, this is... There's nothing in here that doesn't need to be in here. And I think that that's the the appeal of it. Right, it's Man, simple. Our RX-7s are such, like, fantastic cars, too. I mean, especially the – I'm a big fan of the early ones, uh, I guess, like like yours. Yeah, the like FB the, or the FC. Yeah. the What was the first one? Was it the FB or the FC was the first one with the, that they did the turbo setup on? I think – I don't think there was a turbo FB. I think the FC was – because they called them the turbo – well, maybe there was. I don't know why they ever Not call them clear. turbo twos. Someone that's more versed in rotaries could tell us why. But the FC Turbo Two, yeah, I think is just a really cool car. I'm trying to, yeah, yeah, it's the FC. So there, we um, where I ran my race team out of is kind of like a DIY storage garage here in downtown Birmingham, mm-hmm. um, called Alabama Gearheads, and there is a pristine, completely unmodified uh, Turbo FC RX7 in there. Uh, like, like straight out of, I mean, like it, it was like a time machine and that, that car was so cool. I, I just like remember standing there just staring at it and it has the same exact silhouette as the 944. Like it's like Mazda and Porsche copied each other. Yeah. That front end That's is right. very similar. Well, I think, yeah. I think if you look up where the styling for the FC came from, I think that they admit that they stole some of it from Porsche because it, it's it's similar but quite a bit different than the FB if you really start to look at it as far as how the FB is kind of in some ways oval shaped if you look at it you know your side skirts basically tuck in at the bottom you know you, so you kind of get kind of this oval passenger compartment the FC is very slab sided it's a wedge you know it's it's very 944 924 looking um so yeah i think that I, or maybe they just called it the poor man's 944 i'm not sure but it it looks very similar there's no doubt. And, and then the FB is like the Tokyo Drift, you know, totally. Like, th- those are cool, too. I've, I've always loved rotaries, so I kind of have that, like, affinity for, like, the odd, the the, the super strange. Like, that's, that's kind of why I ended up with the Turbo S, is I was like, I can't just have, like, I had a base 944 before that that I kind of happened into. I didn't really intend to buy it, and... It was a like a base, like I mean, three thousand dollar car, but it ran and it was great. And weighed twenty six hundred pounds, had no power steering, it was awesome. So I was like, okay, I guess this is a cool world to live in. And and uh, like I kind of fell in love with RX sevens again, having nine forty fours because it's like it's like the Japanese version with a less reliable motor. <laughs> it's a JDM Porsche. It's sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was cool. the big plus of 944s is like the mechanic, like and most Porsches in general, which is like another painfully annoying thing is that like the mechanicals are just like really good. Like they just last for the most part. Like they have, a, there's a couple models that here and there have some issues like everything, but it's like my car's never been rebuilt and it's probably been running way more power than it was intended to its whole life. And it just still kind of runs. Uh, that's that's the cool thing about it probably is i kind of have it but the, the the major downside 
is that it is very expensive for like weird stuff, like the weird stuff that goes wrong or that you have to replace is just like, it's hard to find and it's, and it's stupid expensive. Mm -hmm. And then finding someone to work on, it's not as easy as a Japanese car, but if you can live with that, then it's a great, it's a great choice. Wasn't the 944, and maybe this has changed, but I think that was the largest displacement four inline four-cylinder engine, maybe in like general production, that three-liter? Yeah, yeah, the three-liter in the S2, um, and the 968 also used that, that motor. Yeah, it's oh, a yeah, three-liter yeah. four-cylinder. Yeah, that's a huge displacement engine for four-cylinders. Yeah, the, those are a lot of people turbo those. They, it's actually the 968 one had this like fancy valve timing, you know, early like variable valve timing setup mm-hmm. called like Vario Cam or something, something super German. So like, yes, we put this on the motor, and uh, and then people just like put big boost in them and that sort of thing. They're cool. It's like the, it's like the Japanese car of, of Porsches. It's like that you never see a stock one they're always they all have like wings and suspension and everything and they're there i guess they're like on a factor of 10 more affordable than most 911 stuff but they're still still german sports cars yeah no i get the appeal totally i've i've looked at them never bought one but i've looked yeah yeah don't don't go too far down that slippery well yeah no dangerous i Thankfully, I just bought another daily because I was having that moment where I was like, "You could totally date a daily a nine eleven, right?" And I, uh, yeah, no. I was having that moment where I was, I was seriously no. thinking about You're it. You're in the wrong state for that, man. I know it sucks. <laughs> I need to move to Alabama apparently because it's nice there, and you can daily Porsches. Win win. Yeah. I guess <laughs> yet another yeah, Porsche so. podcast out there for everyone to listen yeah, to. I- Exactly. I, I don't know if it's like a normal thing to daily. Like, I was I was trying to buy a blow off or not a not a blow off. I have a wastegate. My wastegate shot. I'm buying another wastegate, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you need to send us your core so we can rebuild your old wastegate." And I was like, "No, no, my it's it's my car." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, send us your core." And I was like, "No, it, I can't. I need to drive it to work and things." And like, <laughs> you don't oh, understand. It's a daily car. <laughs> they're like, "It's a 944. It's a 30 year old car." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm not that far out in the weeds. All I'm saying is, you know, people have made more questionable automotive decisions than I have. Yes. <laughs> as long as there's somebody that's more questionable than you, then you're Yeah, good. you're totally fine. It's, yeah, it's I made justifiable ba- behavior. I point. made a bad Sorry. choice, but have you seen what he did? Yeah, look at all the money he spent on this thing. That's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Just just deflect, deflect, deflect. Yep, and then move on. Yeah. Change the subject. Brilliant. <laughs> Talk yeah. about the weather. Yeah, figure it out. Yeah. Um, so you've... Did you race in uh, World Challenge, or did you just were you on the team that built that car? Yeah, so I, I raced in World Challenge. I, oh, okay. Yeah, so after after I had the the late model stock car experience and uh, and went to Daytona International Speedway, I um, I sold the stock car. We won like a regional championship in it, so there was some momentum, you know, for what it's worth. Um, like not very much, but hey, you, you got to have something to tell yourself. You know what you're doing. And uh, I'd kind of learned the logistics because, like, I, I couldn't afford. So, like, I had one guy, Lee Hurley, who I mentioned, who was the NASCAR guy, was kind of the mechanic. And he kind of was the guy around that knew what he was doing. And uh, pretty much other than that, I would hire a buddy or two and, like, pay him and, and beer and, and, like, a little bit of cash to help me work on the car. And then I would load everything up. And Lee would come to the track with us for free as long as I used him to, like, rebuild the motor and do stuff like that. Um, 
and so since I was still a full-time college student and my dad is as big into racing as I am, we kind of had this pact that like while I was in college, he would help me as much as he could because he knew that I wasn't a complete idiot, I guess, and that I, I wasn't going to be a like paid professional, you know, career race car driver, but that something positive would come out of it. So he kind of stuck it out with me for a little while. And then we started doing some stuff to like activate with some sponsors at events. We used to raise money and give people ride alongs and, um, people would like write us a check for the exact amount of like a set of tires and we'd let them draw pictures on the tires with like tire chalk and stuff like that. And <laughs> so we kind of, kind of got creative and yeah. raised a little bit of money and that turned into, Hey, we should buy APR motorsports X stuff, all their old race stuff, mm-hmm. like two cars, a spare chassis, all these like spares. So we bought a two Volkswagen GTIs and a Jetta chassis that had been totaled at Watkins Glen. I was actually on the team on their team when that happened. And, uh, and then it had been like put back together and they were going to turn it into some crazy, like nine second drag car. Um, but we ended up, ended up getting all that stuff and, uh, and went racing myself and another, and a, a friend of mine, um, raised some money and raised those cars in world challenge in 2015, I guess. But, total grassroots effort it was it was a really cool experience and then from there i ended up selling those cars and building a honda accord um, for 2016 and ran that in 16 and part of last year and then just recently sold it so wasn't that long ago no not at all it we've got a picture of it pulled up here it's a pretty it's a pretty cool looking build the uh the accord yeah 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 yeah, that car was awesome. And it, like, uh, so I don't know if you guys know Jack Baruth with uh, Road and Track. Uh, no, it's not ringing any bells. No. So J- Jack writes for Road and Track, but he owns that car now. Oh, the, oh that's Ford. cool. Yeah. So um, if you look at like some Road and Track articles, he'll like there's pictures of it and stuff. And he, it's, it's kind of cool because it's like way more in the public eye than it ever could have possibly have been when I owned it. Um, and he's, he like, uh, had some track records with it now at mid Ohio and stuff like that. But he traded me. Um, so I, I couldn't get money for the car. I like advertised for like eight months. and was like, just pay me something in cash, you know, like to buy this race car because it's like a, like no one sell, like no one builds Honda Accords into race cars. I'm like, yeah. this is a Honda Accord that will completely, this will, this will beat a GT3 RS around most road courses, you know, like, or like, you know, a Corvette C6 Z06, you know, it's like, this is like a stupid fast Honda Accord with 275, you know, Pirelli slicks on it and Aero and just crazy stuff. And uh, so Jack called me and was like, hey, I, I don't have money, but I have a C5 Corvette. Do you think that's in the ballpark? And I was like, sure. And he's like, oh yeah, it belonged to Matt Farah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had Matt Farah's C5 Corvette? Yeah. I just oh my sold God. It, like, it's actually still in my shop. I did a couple of burnouts in it the other day. I hope the, the guy who's bought it from me is listening. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. That's, so a, that's a hell of a that's car. That's worth. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. Well, so Matt didn't want to sell that car. He said he was never going to sell it. And then he must have sold it to, to him because that was only like, what, a year or two ago? Yeah, I think Jack bought it in like late 2016 early 2017 yeah because he was swearing up and down you know because it was his high school he bought it right out of high school i'm never gonna sell it it's never gonna go anywhere and then bam all of a sudden it was gone (laughs) and everybody was like what the hell and he's like well you know shit happens you move on you know yeah i get it he he had a lot of stuff for a while (laughs) yeah it's a c5 corvette and he had a lot of stuff there for a while 
Yeah. And he lost some lost some storage space at one point. So totally I mean, understandable. I, I get it. You know, you can't keep stuff forever. In yeah, a few days. He, he took immaculate care of that car. Like I, I was. I'm not like a Corvette guy by any stretch of the imagination. I hadn't had one like out of the like seems like 50 cars I've owned. I've never had one. So that was my first experience. I was like, okay, prepped Honda Accord World Challenge touring car equals very nice C5 Corvette. I guess that's approximately the same value. Um, and uh, I mean, he took like this car, there was a, so it was really funny when I first got it, I parked it in the shop and a good friend of mine has a, the same exact car. It's a 98 C five red Corvette, um, base Corvette. Uh, and he just does track base and stuff in it. And it's got a supercharger on it and all sorts of crazy stuff, but they're the same exact paint code. But Matt's car looked like it was a completely different shade of red. It was like immaculate. And this other car was like, complete garbage burnt orange like <laughs> it was the, the pigment and the paint had kind of started to dissipate yeah yeah I mean, it was wild it was like they were like 10 vin numbers apart you know or something like that and, hmm. and so i went back and watched all of matt's videos on it and i was like yeah he, he took really good care of this car and of course every part that he put on it was you know probably a uh you know, a comped part from a company that was getting some promo or something like mm-hmm. that. But of course it's, so it's got like the nicest parts you could possibly put on a C5 Corvette on it. Yeah. Didn't he have some one-off HRE wheels or something yeah. and a bunch of stuff? I mean, yeah, there was, there was, like you said, it was probably comped, but there was a lot of money in that car. Yeah, absolutely. And, and all the labor and everything. I mean, it had a full, the full coilover setup. So those were like leaf spring cars, you know, that, the full coilover suspension setup and the stop, stop tech six piston brakes. And, um, the HRE flow forms were like, that was the, that, that's probably why I was able to, to sell it what I, for what I sold it for, because it mm-hmm. just made the car look money. I mean, they were just nice and just a, just a beautiful look overall. And I never really liked that. That's probably my least favorite uh, well, I don't know. The, the C3 or the C4 is pretty bad. Yep. But uh, it's... it's. <laughs> Ooh, Adam's not here. The C4 sucks. The C4 is terrible. <laughs> I hate the C4. The C4 <laughs> I've had moments where I... Because I, the new thing in drifting is is Corvettes because um, they're starting to get cheap. Yeah, uh, I've heard that. And, and they already have LSs in them. So it's either you buy a fiberglass car that already has the LS in it. It's lightweight. You got to figure out how to put a cage in it. Or you buy a 240 that's rusted out. It's yep. got a KA in it. Neighbor. So you got to deal with that. So you got to LS swap it. Then you got to restore problem. the car. So what people have been doing is just buying, spending a little bit more money and buying Corvettes and, you know, modifying the chassis and all that. But, um, yeah, I've had moments of like trying to do the real broke drifter thing and get a C4 <laughs> and build that into a drift car just to be annoying. Um, do it. It's an interesting they're, idea. They're, they're, they're kind of cool. It's kind of that same, like, like what's that show? Like Radwood, the, the, celebrates all like the good and oh, bad yeah. of the 80s the and 80s it's like yeah. it's like yeah it's no it's it's bad let's not let's not sure you it it's terrible the because as some of those c4s are really bad they had like yellow gauges and oh, I, I mean God. instead of having you know white numbers and and hash marks they're yellow yeah and it's it's yeah Whew. yeah it's pretty rough that I've is a, a very that's got a zr1 and it's it's like that like like you look at it and you're like, what? It's it looks so. It looks like you just drove from your trailer park with like, <laughs> it, it yeah, needs exactly. a Dale Earnhardt three on this. It's like it's outrageous, but it's kind of cool at the same time. Like part of you is like, man, I can move to a trailer. I can. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can do I, the I, lifestyle. I can live this <laughs> necessary. The, Got a case of Bud Light in the back. I mean, there's a there's a guy locally that has a ZR one and 
I I mean, credit where it's due on that that particular model. Um, that engine's pretty spectacular, considering you know the time yeah. frame it came from. Um, you know, it's That's what I've heard. dual dual overhead cams. I mean, it's it was just kind of a weird a weird one-off thing that GM came up with with Lotus and produced, and it's kind of surprising that it was ever made. Um, That's right. That was the Lotus like combination. I forgot about that. Yeah, and it was 400 horsepower or something like that. And I mean, it was. I'm sure it was a ripper when it was new. I'm sure it was crazy. Uh, I, I bet it was. I mean, there, there. It's kind of like I said. It's like it's like one of those. I'm sure it would grow on me, like the C5 would. To be honest, like by the time I decided to sell this car, I was kind of like, I'm, I'm gonna miss it. I'm gonna miss like super fast, very affordable track car. Yeah. You know, vibe, but. Yeah, that was a cool I feel car. Like, I feel like a guy working at Porsche can't really own a Corvette, though. Yeah, aren't yeah, you the enemy? Pretty great. <laughs> yeah. so I would like rock up to to Porsche for like the instructor meeting in the morning with my Porsche, you know, stuff on and everything, and just like rev the motor, like banging off the rev. <laughs> yeah, <motor>. LS1, baby. <laughs> right, what's up? V8. Hey, y'all do y'all go for a ride? <laughs> That's pretty much. You, I mean, I, I did that a couple of times, and some of the guys working in the shop and stuff got more excited about the Corvette than like any of the GT3s or yeah. like you know crazy you know 911 Turbo S's that they're working on. They're like, like, oh man, it's Corvette. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Something different, thank God. Yeah, changing exactly. it up. In- yeah. So anyway, that's cool. Well, hey, uh, we need to talk about uh, Apex Pro. Um, I think a lot of people probably don't know what it is that listen. Some some people do, but yeah, we've, um, I've talked about it. A little we've bit we've with talked some people. We've talked about it. We've used the one that we've had, uh, not completely successfully due to our own uh, my mechanical own, ignorance. Uh, let's yeah, put it that way. Stupidity, <laughs> pure stupidity on my part. Um, so let's just start from the beginning, I guess. Talk talk about the product and and the problem that it that you're trying to create a solution for and how it works. Yeah, yeah. So it's. Um, you know, basically the whole idea behind Apex Pro is to change the perception of the way people think about data for, for racing and for motorsports is, is, you know, currently is kind of a, uh, intimidating, I guess is the best way to describe like a post-session data review session. If you don't, if you didn't kind of learn and, uh, grow with the software and get really comfortable with it. So Apex Pro is really just designed to let people know that you can get really accurate data and you can have that accessible in real time in the car and on your phone. And it just drops that barrier to data that you don't have to wire the car up with all these sensors, download the software on your computer, sync it all up, make sure that like, you know, I, I spent time on my Accord and world challenge with a $3,200 Motec dash. And it was great as a dash, but as a data logger, there's really a lot to be desired because I couldn't, the car didn't transmit brake pressure over can. So I had to get a brake pressure sensor and and wired into you know somewhere it's happened into the brake lines and then i had to da- buy another 400 dollars software unlock for that so like i was 800 bucks in just to get brake pressure and like that was all i really wanted from the beginning was brake pressure and throttle position and I, I couldn't have it so when we started developing apex that was like the the problem i was like i i don't see a lot of people using data s- stuff at track days other than you know something on their phone and i think there are some products out there that are reasonable solutions, but I think most of the time uh, it's still like there's kind of a barrier just to like that interface where you can get really quality data and actually learn from it. And data is so affordable now. It's like if you can afford a set of tires and brakes and build your car, you should invest that extra, you know, extra couple hundred bucks in yourself because it's going to pay dividends by, 
you know, teaching you something and that's kind of what you're there to, to do. So it's, it's kind of a matter of priority, but um, yeah, I mean, I can literally talk about it all day long because it's like, we were talking earlier about like casual conversation. It's like the greatest thing about my job is that I just call people that work in the motorsports world that do track days or racing, you know, racing related activities. And I ask them when they're going to the track, <laughs> what they drive, you know, what kind of events they enjoy going to. And I tell them a little bit about Apex Pro and how it might solve their problems. And it's like a natural conversation. And that's that's what I do pretty much, you know, 70% of the day is talk, talk to people about what they drive on track and, and tell them about our product, which is, is like a very easy transition. So I'm very, very thankful for that. It's cool. So basically the module itself is, is I mean, it's basically a small black box. It's got an LED um, strip strip on the front of it. Um, how does that work when you're driving the car? So basically, you mount that in in your eye view. Yeah, because it's it's yeah. not it's not a lap timer. Like it doesn't tell you your lap time, but it, it gives you red or green lights. So yeah, yeah. So on, on the device itself, you have the LED strip, and you mount it in your peripheral vision kind of line of sight, which usually the lower third of your peripheral, so somewhere on the dash of the car is where you want it, um, preferably, you know, in the area where you're going to spend most of the time looking. So, um, if you're, you know, on a road course, a lot of times you're kind of always usually turning one more turn to the right. So you might move it over to the right, but somewhere where your peripherals are going to detect the green or the red lights on the display and the motion as they move across. So the lights move from left to right on the display. The red lights mean, um, the potential of the car's capability at that given moment based on, um, what the device has learned about the grip level and the green lights are your performance as a percentage of that, of that limit. So red is the limit green is you. And all you're trying to do is match the two to achieve the optimum grip level. So that's, it's different than anything else. That's nothing ever has really been promoted or, or put out into the you know motorsports world that, that does this before, because it, it's really just a very simple way of showing your performance and, and it uses machine learning. So the, the software and the device and the sensors in the device basically build a model of your car in, in nine axes. So like think of like a, a friction circle. Um, if you guys have read any like, you know, uh, motorsports related books and that sort of thing, it's basically building a nine axis friction circle model of the car. Um, so it knows that when the car is going uphill, when you, you know, the tires compressed into the ground, it, you have more grip and, and vice versa going downhill. So all that stuff's built into the model. So it learns, you know, when the track's cambered up, you have more grip. When the track's off camber and you're, you know, you're turning to the right, the track's cambered and sliding down to the left, you have, you're losing grip. Um, and then it has a 10 hertz GPS in it. And so basically it just takes thousands of measurements every second and inputs that data into the model and cross-references that with your current performance. Um, so basically if you're really confident in a couple of corners on the track and not very confident in some others, uh, the device's ability to understand the limit based on your more or, or your limit at that time, based on the the places where you're more confident will then be projected to the other corners where it'll probably help you more. Uh, and then it's all sent to your phone. So you can do data review and stuff uh, on a frankly, just like really intuitive phone interface. It's I've, I've been fortunate enough to like use everything in our price point, just because I have to for air quotes research. You know, it's research, research purposes. I have to yeah. go to the track. It's research. That's right. I <laughs> I'll be back. Track. I have to do more laps. I need I need a bunch of different data systems just just to have you know just for research. Just to check stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Competition. 
yeah, that's right. I'm not going to slide the car at all. I'm not going to do, yeah, yeah, just for fun. Um, and the, the interface is just so nice and fluid and um, it communicates in just like a very simple way. Um, some pretty sophisticated data, you know, it's taking a lot of the same measurements that um, systems that cost twice as much take um, with, you know, the GPS and all the different sensors. And uh, it's, it's really cool. It's very interesting. If you haven't given it a shot, most of our dealers do demos. I would definitely recommend checking out our website and looking up our dealer list to see if they're going to be at the track or at an autocross or something near you so you can try one before you buy it. Uh, but we also have a lot of content on our YouTube and YouTube channel and that sort of thing that can help make a purchasing decision. Um, but really, I just think it's cool to be a part of something that's trying to change the way people view data. That's yeah. really the, the fun part. Well, it would, uh no joke with the weekend before you emailed us i had spent the whole weekend basically just researching um data loggers time uh lap timers just trying to decide what i wanted to spend my money on and then we got that email from you the next week i was like where has this been my whole life i would like i wasted an entire weekend looking for this product no like no joke so i'm yeah then i went and like watched all your youtube videos and how to set it up and like yeah we we have your demo one i haven't had a chance to utilize it yet because i'm an idiot which is my own fault but the 11th though okay, you got it you got time August, trials time on the trials 11th. august 11th so so we are he's right gonna on. put it to I'm gonna, use i'm gonna get that one right this time cool, so I'm, I'm excited we'll, we'll hook up and I'll, I'll make sure make sure to uh to help you out as much as i can actually that's probably the second most fun part of my job is i get on a daily basis i'll get data sessions from people and and just like pour over it and try and help people get the most out of it which is is tons of fun because i get to think about being at the track when i'm sitting in my office <laughs> Yeah, but this this isn't just for like specific tracks either. Like you could use this autocross, you know. You could free, I guess, what do they call that freestyle any track. Yeah, I guess you, yeah. yeah. How, explain how that works a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, so there's there's a custom track interface, so you can go in and create um, create courses for anything. Um, so tons of people use it with autocross, uh, use it for autocross applications, uh, hill climb, rally. Uh, had recently had a couple people reach out about drifting. Um, some folks have used it on a go kart. It's not really specifically designed for a go kart. There are some, you know, some things that I would prefer it to be that are different for a go kart. But that maybe is foreshadowing for the future. But um, yeah, you can use it really with any motorsports activity because you can use the GPS in the device and define a custom course. So like I have, I have home to work and you know home to my girlfriend's house and you know. I, record all that that data on the street as well so you can use it for a variety of applications so does that work kind of like just you you just go to that go to the place and set a pin or is is that pre-programmed i guess how, how do you set that up yeah you can do it a couple different ways you can, you can do it um basically like hop onto google maps look up the coordinates for the the left side and the right side of <clears throat> the road or the area that you're going on you can input it manually um, okay. or if you're actually physically standing you know at an autocross um, what you do for an autocross is you take the device, um, you pair it to the to the app, and then you go stand um, kind of by the left side and the right side of the the start the start gate. Mm. Uh, and just because of the way GPS works, it's it's good to give it like a nice wide berth, so stand 15, 20 feet off from where that cone is, and then do the same thing for the finish of the autocross, and then that'll save it. And then you can actually share that custom track. So if there's someone else there that is either going to be co-driving with you or um, you know they're uh, they're also using an Apex Pro. You can share the custom track with them, so they get the exact same um, exact same coordinates for their custom track. Um, so it's it's 
it's relatively simple. Now, the, the big like disclaimer, if you're interested in our product, is that right now we're very heavily um, invested in the iOS platform, so the Apple platform, uh, basically because we're, we're a really small company and you just have to pick your, pick your battles. So you can't do both. It's better to do one well than to do both poorly, both iOS and Android. <laughs> no, absolutely. So for, I hope, yeah. The only thing I didn't Sorry see on the that. Android was the crew view that we had talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. So I don't, I mean, I don't have an iPhone, so I don't know what else we're missing out on, but the app seemed fine yeah. when I was on there, yeah, <laughs> is what I'm saying. fine for me. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that's that's good to hear. It's uh, So we actually, we just, this is like insider information. We just green-lighted some more um, Android updates. Uh, so I actually coach our Android developer, um, super cool guy. He's a um, lives in Tennessee, and he does track day stuff too. So I just met him at the track, and he was like, hey, I think I can help you with that. And we kind of worked out a deal that worked for us, so I coach him in exchange for some development time. So we're cool. awesome. We're doing um, green lighting a lot of new Android projects, so that's that's been fun. Um, but if you are an iPhone user, uh, I would definitely recommend checking it out. And same thing for the Android. I mean, it's really the only thing that it's – missing or doesn't have that the iPhone does are the crew view feature, which is the live streaming of GPS position, lap times and apex scores, which is really cool. It's kind of like race monitor for a track day or an autocross. You can see other apex users, you know, what their, where their car is, what they're doing in real time Mm -hmm. uh, from the side of the track. Um, And then it doesn't have some of the the depth and the post-session analysis. Um, It doesn't have like, uh, the LED light replay. So on the iOS app, you can replay what the lights were showing you while you were on track. So, mm. you know, inevitably you're going to get off the track and be like, those lights were green everywhere. I was just, I was really cooking um, in every corner. And then you can replay it and be like, oh, yep, never mind. <laughs> uh, so that's that's helpful in the iOS app. But you can see more more detail, obviously, than, than that. But uh, so that is yet to come on the Android. And then hopefully we'll be, be uh, we actually just partnered. This is kind of cool. We just partnered with Track Attack. They're a cloud-based uh, platform and they uh, have a desktop app that's like a bridge for different data products. So if you have a MoTeC system or an AIM system or a variety of other systems, you can input your data into their desktop app and you can compare MoTeC data with AIM data. And stuff that you haven't been able to do in the past. And now Apex Pro is one of their supported uh, hardware platforms. So if you have an Apex, uh, iOS, or Android, you can import it into Track Attack and, uh, and use it on your desktop. So that's really cool. That's exciting. Um, yeah, all sorts of fun stuff going on. Yeah. So when you're, when you're on a track, whether it be one that you've created or is existing in the platform, does the data that it's giving you for you know your red light, your potential... Does that data need to be – is there a period of time where the unit needs to collect that data before it can give you that information of where it thinks your potential is? How does it how – do, how do you get that potential for people to, you know, measure themselves against? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So it's kind of similar to using a predictive um, – you need a base lap for it to, to mm-hmm. build off of, right? Um, so it depends, you know – Honestly, the, the answer is always, well, it depends. But usually it's a couple of laps. Um, and that's because the, the basically the machine learning has like an underlying um, knowledge and understanding of, of you know, the, the inputs and the data that we've, that we've like trained it with, if you will, over time. And so basically it just needs data to fill out the model. And the more data it has to fill out and extrapolate the model, the more accurate it becomes. 
So the more laps you do and the closer to the car's actual limit you get, the more accurately it understands the limit. So if you find the oversteer-understeer balance within a couple of laps, it's going to be able to accurately predict that limit, that oversteer-understeer limit um, across the whole lap, uh, which is really cool. Um, so, And conversely, if you kind of slowly creep up to the limit, it won't know as much as soon. But the really cool thing is that it takes so many measurements that like if you accidentally jump on the brake too hard in one corner, it's going to understand that, like, yeah, you can brake harder in certain situations and stuff like that. Um, so that's, that's really, it's really fun to kind of actually see it while you're in the car and see it go from, Oh, I'm all green entering turn one and the next lap you get on the brakes and you see a bunch of red lights and now it's red and you're going, wait, hold on a second. It wasn't that like that last time. So it's learned something else. Um, mm. it's, it's really cool. So it's kind of pushing you towards that limit then over over a series of laps. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the goal is to kind of uh, let people really, it's the only product that allows you to kind of correlate what you're feeling with something visual. So is this, you know, is this acceleration, is this, are these G-forces that I'm feeling in the seat as the as I'm compressing in the seat or, you know, as I'm turning the wheel or, or whatever, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And it kind of confirms or denies your suspicions, right? So it kind mm-hmm. of is pushing you to to be able to experiment with the limit of the car in places where it thinks you're confident enough to do that, um, which is which is really cool because I, I don't know about you guys. This is always a question I like to ask people, but um, like, what did you ever have like a like a, a light bulb moment on either on track or in an autocross or some sort of performance driving event where something happened, like some some stimuli and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I get it. And all of a sudden your whole, your whole like driving approach changed. Yeah. I had an instructor yell at me one time that I wasn't going fast enough. That helped a lot. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I mean, literally it's, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but I had had an instructor in a morning session who, you know, he didn't know me. He didn't know the car. He came from spec Miata and then he, you know, it's just some random kid that showed up for a track day. Basically he doesn't know. So he's being, fairly timid with me and then i have a friend of mine that um has a lot of track day experience and he gets in to instruct in the afternoon session and he's screaming at me like dude you are not driving fast enough and then i was like <laughs> okay but you know trusting that he was right you know made made a lot of difference you know to actually get to the point where i can feel the car communicating with me that okay this is we're approaching that edge of our grip or we need to slow down here or whatever um you, you kind of have to drive the car at that level to start getting that feedback, you know? And yeah. I wasn't getting that feedback because right. my instructor was kind of limiting my potential. And again, rightfully so. He had no reason not to. Right. Um, I, I trust at hit at that point, I trusted his, his understanding of my driving ability. But so, yeah, I do understand what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. So mine was a, a friend of mine who's done a lot of professional racing and he's now, now a, uh, a coworker of mine at the uh, at Porsche um, at the at the driving school, and I rode with him. And I don't remember what the car was. I, I rode with him in something on the track. It was a street car, and we went through like a series of corners at Barber Motorsports Park, which is like 15 minutes from our office in Birmingham. So I bring it up a lot because it's like right down right down the road. Um, but he, uh, he just the way like the speed that he carried into a corner that I I hadn't been within 25 or 30 miles an hour of that speed in that corner mm-hmm. before, and the way I felt the suspension compress, you know, I wasn't even driving the car, just riding along. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, 
that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I, I get it. You know, I kind of like thought that driving the car that fast was like I was going to reach this artificial limit that was way lower than it actually was. And so now I'm looking back on, I'm like, man, I wish I had Apex Pro earlier on because that would have been really relevant. (laughs) Yeah, we talked about some drift applications and that was a big aha moment for me drifting too was that I was going too slow. That's a really hard hurdle to get past, I think, for a lot of people that you're not going fast enough into a corner uh, because it it really seems like you shouldn't be moving very fast. When you start out drifting, (laughs) the speed coming into a corner is really intimidating because you're, I mean, you're you're probably going to spin off and you're, you're amplifying the force of your spin off when you when you go faster but in order to make the the drift work correctly you need to be going a certain speed or faster in order to you know maintain drift and so that moment when i just said screw it and just threw the car in as hard as i could throw it in there it was <laughs> then it worked it was like oh that kind of worked and i was like oh okay so i just need yeah. to keep you know keep doing that and work on my angle and work on steering inputs and that's you know, awesome so yeah that's that's such a tough uh that that barrier to get up to because it's like it's the same it's the same feeling and the same like exact you know whether you're on a road course at an autocross drifting you know whatever it's like you have to get to that confidence level where you're like you know what i'm gonna try this and and we're gonna see what happens and i'm pretty sure it's not gonna be bad but i don't really know it doesn't feel good uh, at the time though you're like yeah that seems like a really bad idea (laughs) this could be really expensive (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Right. I just see dollar signs every time mm-hmm. like uh, that happens. I had, oh man, that's not, I've hit too many walls for <laughs> like, have, like relapses. Like, Oh, oh God, not, not again. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, it, I guess at a certain point you learn to forget it. Like you, you get the useful information. I'm like, what I do wrong. All right. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that wrong again. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't yeah, do you learned your so lesson. I, yep. Yeah, I had a, a brake failure in a, in a car massively one time, and I was like, "All right, I'm tapping the brakes, leaving pit lane every time now." Oh, really? You went out on your your first corner. You had no brakes. Yeah. Um, oh man, this was not a good day. It's like I'm I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that can relate to this in a lot of ways that might not have anything to do with cars. But my dad has a uh, he's he's about to sell it. If anyone's interested, keep your eyes on Bring a Trailer. He has a uh, a Superformance kit car GT40. Um, uh, Mark one, the golf paint scheme, oh. um, GT 40 kit car, which was like his, it's a cool story to hear him talk about it because he got super into sports car racing when he was really young and like growing up in like the early, uh, sorry, the late sixties, uh, when that car was winning and in like 1969, he would have been like almost 10 years old and he got the, some magazine, you know, old school magazine that had that car on the front. And he was like, that is the car you know, 10 year old kid. He was like, that is, that is the car, the golf livery. So like, you know, I guess it would have been like 2012 or 2013. He finally got to like that financial tipping point in his life where he's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy the car that I've like coveted my entire life. And so he bought the Superformance uh, replica, uh, the kit car, which is like the Shelby registry version. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the, the most legit of the, of the kit cars, uh, 95% part, interchangeability with the original car all that all that good stuff um and of course this thing is like completely true to form it's 2400 2300 pounds stupid light aluminum monocoque fully adjustable crazy you know suspension looks like a prototype race car when you lift the the clamshell off it's got a 
crazy fiberglass body, like everything that, that you'd expect from a GT40 and then, you know, 500 horsepower at the wheels. So it's just like crazy power to weight, but we took it to the track once and had massive brake fade, just like it has the really tiny 15 inch wheels with very little brake breathing. And if you guys are familiar with Barber Motorsports Park at all, there's not a lot of long straightaways. It's a very technical, um, driver's track. It's very rewarding for like, you know, transient kind of corners connecting into corners. There's not a lot of what this car was designed for, which was like Le Mans, Daytona, which is like, you know, wide open throttle. Uh, so after that, we're like, okay, got to watch out for that. And then, uh, ended up raffling off a ticket for someone at like a local auction. And a guy paid like 500 bucks to go for a ride in the GT 40 with me at Barber. Um, and it benefited like a local charity or something. So we took the car out to the track and we put, you know, really high temp fluid in it and had braided, you know, uh, stainless brake lines on it and race pads. And I was like, you know, how can it, how bad can it be? We're only going to do five or six, you know, quick laps. And I'm going to be at like seven or eight tenths because this is my dad's like, like he was baby. Yeah. This is his <laughs> car. This is the car, you know, it's like the, um, and so it was, it was just really like generous of him to let me take it out there in the first first place. But so I did like a warm up session and all was fine. I did like six or seven laps, came back in, no problem. Then strapped this guy in, and luckily I told this guy, "Hey, this is what happens if there's an incident." And I kind of walked him through what he should do, like being like, "If I tell him this, it's not going to happen." It's kind of, mm. <laughs> if I wear my rain jacket, it's not going to. If you know where the hospital is, you won't need to use it. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that's why you look up all the Harbor Freights, you know, when you're going to a town to race. It's like, yeah. I know where the closest Harbor Freight is. You'll be I'm fine. Not have to go there. Everything will be fine. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. And, uh, and so we do three laps and I got stuck behind some slower traffic and I was like, I don't want to sit around in a, like a, you know, slow ish. I, I don't remember. We were at just at like a track day, but it's, it's a really quick car. I mean, just stupid power to weight ratio and just t- a lot of tire. It's fast. Uh, and it's a workout to drive. It's just total no, like I don't I don't know how these guys actually drove that car like back in the day. I mean, you For get out of it and your arms are noodles, and the shifter takes so much force to move. It's ridiculous, and it's got like an open wheel style car pedal box and. All the pedals are stiff. It's just crazy. But we sat on pit lane for like 20 seconds, 30 seconds waiting for traffic. And then I went back out on track. And at Barber, you go around turns two and three and you come up over four. And then the first time you go to the brakes is the hardest braking zone on the track, which in that car is about 120 miles an hour down to <laughs> down to 50, 40, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm taking it easy. I'm like top of third gear. I didn't even upshift to fourth. I'm going maybe 100 you know, just taking it easy on the outlap with a passenger. And I go to the brake pedal and she goes to the float. I mean, it just straight to the floor. And I remember at that moment, I'm like, should I, I literally had this thought, exact thought process. I'm like, should I tell this guy we're going to crash? All right. Like, should I, should I tell Because we're definitely going to crash. Should I tell him? And I had, the, had enough time to like, think about that. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to worry about it. So I just slammed it into second gear, tried to pull the parking brake. And I ended up I was going to go head on into the, into the wall, which if you're familiar with that car, like your feet are basically the front crumple zone, you know, like they're, they're over the front axle. Um, so I just pitched it sideways and got really lucky, skipped over the entire gravel trap. And I wish we had, we didn't have an apex pro in the car. (laughs) Could be, could be part of the reason that was before that time, but I would be really interested to see how, what the impact was. Cause I think it probably was about 65, 70 miles an hour. Mm. 
wow. the wall. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a great day. My dad was watching. It was awesome. That's a that's a tough one to go home had, to. Had a great time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, he's like, man, it it blew my mind. Like that was something that, like on that day, I like logged it away. I'm like, I need to remember how this went down because my dad is the most like he's taught me more than anything, any, like I could, could ever imagine, but he's the most like gracious, kind person ever. He was like, he looked at me and he was like, I know what happened. It's, it's going to be okay. It's not a big deal. Like that was literally what came out of his mouth. Wow. And I, I was like, I was like, you know, trying to give him, I was like, I, I will work for you for the rest of my life. I owe you everything <laughs> that I have. You know, here, <laughs> here's my firstborn son. You can, yep. you know, whatever you want to do. So, but yeah, I actually went to Daytona the next weekend and raced, um, but so first of all, I was like, well, we're not going to Daytona because you're, you know, you're going to want to fix the car and all this and all that. And he was just like, no, no, we're not changing anything. And I was sitting there like, you know what? And, and because he said that it taught me more than like, had he been mad, I would have just gotten mad and it would have been, you know, bad, but I actually learned a lot more from it because of that. Just uh, crazy. So yeah, that's the, the moral of the story there is, is, is uh, don't wreck your dad's GT40. <laughs> Yeah, probably a good, good idea. may not apply to everyone, <laughs> but if somebody's dad has a GT40, uh, you know, it. it's specific to them, and yeah. it, it works well in that case. But that one, you'll never forget that. Every time you get on oh. track, that's right there. First thing, yeah. No. And, well, the first thing that came out of my mouth, which, like, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I did a lot of acting when I was younger. I um, ended up trying out for, like, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, if anyone else out there is, like, my age. <laughs> really? uh, I tried out for a Disney show. Yeah, I was, I was into that when I was a kid. And so the first thing I said to my dad, like, I'm pretty sure it was after, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, was, hey, I'm probably one of, like, a half dozen people that have ever crashed a GT40. You know? Like, it's, <laughs> it's not a whole lot of people that have done that. It's a small group. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like me and you know, a couple of guys that you know were testing it or whatever, and I'm sure it's some of crashing Goodwood and stuff like that. Yep, but, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's this crazy story. Yeah, it is. That's a good story. I forget. I, I I think like my life is so normal most days. I'm like, man, and then I think about it like that, and I'm like, I guess that's not that normal. Not a lot of people have that experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although a GT40 did crash at Marshalltown of all weird yeah. things yeah, to that happen. The, the blue kid car. Yeah. Um, that was a weird day too. Who knows what happened there? But yeah, um, seen it oddly enough. Yep. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, any other thoughts? Anything you want to say on the Apex Pro specifically before we uh, before we wrap up here? Uh, not not in particular. Definitely just uh, apextrackcoach.com is our website. Check us out, and uh, I do all the like right right now. I do all the sales. I do the order fulfillment. I go to the track. I do everything. So if you buy one from us, you will probably get to talk to me. So price of conversations four forty nine. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's an awesome problem. It really is. It's it's the only thing I use when I go to the track. Now I wouldn't. I I physically like don't get in the car without it because I'm. I just want to know. I'm like, I want to know what my apex score is. I want to, it's, it's changed the whole way I looked at data. Cause I was just pissed off for so long about spending a million dollars on, I mean, Motex great, but not for what I was going for and right. for, for getting that set up. And so now it's like, I've solved my own problem to some extent. Luckily along the way, we figured out there are more people that wanted the same solution. So that's how you make a business, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's been a lot of fun apex track coach.com um you can find you guys on social too right you got an instagram 
Yeah, Apex Digital Driving Coach is our Instagram and Facebook um, tag. Definitely, definitely check us out. And mainly, I just appreciate you guys letting us be a uh, be a partner and be a part of this because I'm I've always enjoyed. I was going to Road Atlanta a couple weekends ago and listened to probably four or five of your shows in a row. I've done the same before on road trips, so I appreciate the automotive and motorsports themed programming because I know a lot of us appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Thank we you very we much. appreciate. You're going to pick up the the news segment moving forward basically so um we appreciate you reaching out and working with us and i'm excited to try it i've yeah been playing on the app and watched all your youtube videos and i was ready the car wasn't but i was it's coming so, up though so yep hopefully you guys go. will have to connect so he can look at your uh yep tell me look what, at your tell data me yeah. all about it that's right yeah we'll, we'll lift the skirt up there you go here, 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 <laughs> yeah <So. laughs> do, do a little data analysis perfect cool yeah that's, that sounds great guys i really appreciate it yep Thanks, Andrew. We'll catch you later. I'll shoot you a text or an email or something tomorrow. Um, I think Robbie and I are going to keep chatting here, but we appreciate you coming on. Awesome. No, I, I really appreciate the platform, guys. This is uh, it's exciting, and I hope uh, I hope your listeners find it interesting and and maybe solves a problem for them because I think that uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that just want a simpler solution. You know, they want they want all the information, but they don't want to spend the time and effort to to get it with the current tools. So, absolutely. Hopefully, it resonates. Definitely. I can think of a few listeners right off the top of my head that I think would utilize this right off the bat. So That's awesome. And as long as they don't crash their dad's GT40, they might be able to afford it. Yeah, they should, they should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, guys. See you later. All right. Close the Skype call. Robbie, we're doing this. It's not solo. It's a duo. It's a duo. It's a duo. It's not the trio. Adam's busy. He's we're in the Motorsports pseudo without him. That's fine. Um, so I will do um, Michael's opener. Mike, Michael's Adams opener, if you know what I mean, presented by Factor Fabrication. Um, so a couple quick ones. Um, you know how we don't like Porsches and BMWs? This is That's not what we do here? Since when? Exactly. That's my <laughs> point. <laughs> so I, I got to drive um, I got to drive Thomas's E30. Oh. Yeah. Because we were, he's He's talking. I'm not. Hope I'm not giving anything away. But he wants to try drifting, so he wanted me to take a look at a couple of things on his E30. And yeah, I didn't know uh, anything about this? I know he's, he, he yeah. got it running. Yeah, he got it running. I got to drive it. Um, yeah, it's it's very good. I approve. It's it's very nice. It's slow. It, well, yeah. But it's not. It's his isn't like the top spec. You know, it's just a. BMW it's not an E30. M3. It's not no. anything. It's just, but it is the straight six. Um, his is the his is the sedan. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um it's not the convertible, it's not the not the coupe. But I will say it's really nice to drive and it makes a really good noise. Um it just howls and screams. Yeah. I mean it's it's just What's he what he what's he done to that? Cuz I know he I think he's got a limited slip and Yeah, so it's got a factory limited slip, I believe he said. Um so that should be fine. It's I don't know that he's done a lot other than get it running. I know he, I know he <laughs> bought it for a song and he's kind of put it back together. Yep. I know he asked me like, you know, like after I did my one drift day and I don't know anything about anything. He asked me, he goes, so you know, should I do like a, you know, a hydro e-brake thing? And I was like, probably not. You could probably get away with this. And I sent him a video of a FT86 that he made about those <laughs> that drift the button, bu- the drift button. And I was like, you could do this. And he goes, no. You did not send me my own video to describe what you're telling me about. Bro, you make videos for yeah, you, a living, man. You, you you are the authority. You're the reason I know how to install this. You should know. 
I bought one of those. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I bought it. It's I, it. I put one in the 240. I've never used it. But I it, bought it from just a Pollock, actually. It's actually kind of, it's convenient. Is it? Yeah. I'm going to put if, it in. If I, I don't know if I'll use it. Honestly, the reason I bought it was because when I did my drift attempt, there, if you watch the video again, you can see where I do the 360 by mistake. Mm-hmm. Just absentmindedly, I reach down and I pull the freaking e-brake. But then, oh, really? and so it's it's like three clicks, maybe two clicks. So I mean, it's not. Oh, but late. it was on. It's on. Yeah. But I also absentmindedly went back to driving and left it on. Oh yeah. So yeah. had I had the button, it would have just gone just back. Just gone down. So that was the reason I bought it because I watched the video going, oh yeah, I left that on for like a lap, like a full lap. Hot brakes. Yep. Excuse so. me for one second. I'm going to take a quick break from the Porsche BMW segment to open a LaCroix. This show has changed while Adam's gone. Oh, what did I do with Oh, that? no. Where's the you got yeah, one here. Here, we'll just Hold set on. that one there. Since he didn't do the water thing. Oh, spin it to see the label. Oh, okay, okay. There you go. 10 Tens Podcast brought to you by LaCroix. <laughs> what other BMW news do we have? I don't have any news about BMW. I could just tell you what it's like to drink a LaCroix. Here, if you want to drink, ahead. if you want to drink some carbonated water, I can go in the other room and yell flavors. Hold on, and that's, I don't even, that's accurate. This enough. is grapefruit. I just want to make sure it's grapefruit because I can't really tell. Hold on, just real quick. It's pample mousse. Yeah, it's grapefruit. Oh, that is grapefruit. It's delicious. Oh, it probably doesn't smell like anything. It kind of smells like grapefruit. So anyway, BMWs are, are good. I'm down on some older BMWs. BMWs are good. I don't mind. Porsches, that. Are, Porsches good. are good. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, what have we done? Wait, no, I got, I got one here. I can change gears and I can be like Adam. You ready? This is my Adam impression. Okay. Why is it so hard to get somebody else to change your oil? Why is it such a pain in the ass? Who are you trying to get to change your oil? So I bought the, the now I'm going back to when I bought my brand new Genesis. When I bought the, so I bought the Genesis, right? Yeah. And it's the whole thing. And they're like, sir, we will do your oil changes for whatever period of time. Blah, blah, whatever. So I call him and I say, I've got, I want to do my oil wait, change. Wait, 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 wait. You had to call a human on the phone and talk to them with your voice? No, you press the button on yeah, the mirror okay. and it's, and it calls a person at, oh, I thought, I Hyundai, thought the, I thought the you app, could, you could just schedule it. You could it. do that too. Oh. But I was driving. So I called the concierge ah. and she connected me to, wow. it'd be funny if it wasn't <laughs> true. <laughs> it's kind of funnier because it is true. Okay. But anyway, so I did that and I was, um, I was talking to the dealership, and I think it, maybe it's related to the storm damage, but they said they couldn't get me until the 25th to do my oil change, and it's the first. That's too many days. That's too many days. And I was like, you have to be kidding me, right? And it'll she, take like 10 minutes. Well, then she re, then she told me it takes about an hour and a half, and I said, I don't think that it does because I haven't had anybody change my oil in the last six years, No, I, and I know I for a fact that I it doesn't take you, that long. Yeah, I never let anybody change my oil, ever. Right. So I, mean, I, I don't own fancy cars, though. I, w- I think I'll still be changing my own oil. Is the moral yeah, of that no story? Well, I suppose if, you know they got to get you in the dealership, and then they got to get you booked in, and then yeah. get working on your car, and then by the time you go and get your coffee and crumpets and no, no, no they were going to give me a car. You're going to leave for an hour and a half? Well, I was going to go to work. Oh, they they can't just pick it up from work. Apparently not. Kind of. But they're like, we don't know if we have any spare cars for you, sir, because of the storm damage. What type of chicken shack Some are they running? Some real first world problems I yeah. was having today. You poor guy. I know. I feel discriminated <laughs> against. <laughs> you demand satisfaction. I demand satisfaction. But in all seriousness, do normal people, like normal 
not automotive people. Is oil changes no the be, worst? Is it just no? Suck? Because, no, because you could go to what is that one called? LOF Lube Oil Filter or Jiffy Lube. They can get you done in like three minutes. Like you, it's like a drive-through. Okay, like, so, so that's for, how so, you. Do so for that people now. that don't care enough to like pick the oil themselves or do yeah. it themselves or any of that stuff, you just go through the drive-through oil change. It takes like five minutes. I, I, I realize there's a lot of people that are going to tell me, no, yeah. you don't ever go there. And yeah, I'm right there with you. But, but I'm just wondering. A lot of people do. My point was, you know, normal people. Normal people would probably just go to the, the lube oil filter. Yeah, because that. Co- and it costs like $30 with a coupon. Yeah, because it's actually more convenient for me to buy my own oil and filter and change it myself than to figure out how to get my car over on the other side of town uh-huh. for them to do it. Yeah. For free. Yeah. I understand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's just First world problems, I tell you. Uh, well, yeah, but I just, you know, I think I know too much. That's part of the problem. Yeah, There's I, no I, magic I, that happens well, in an and, oil change. Well, that, yeah, and the worst thing, too, is I've seen the horror stories of, like, people bringing their nice cars, like an Audi or whatever, and they have all, yeah. like, the plastic protective stuff and, like, they bring it to a Jiffy Lube, and he just takes a Dremel to it and cuts the plastic off, and then gets to the filter. And yeah, I've, I, yeah, don't. That's why I. That's a reason not to. <laughs> well, so the last time I've done an oil change after somebody else has done an oil change, like a shop, they put the filter on way too tight uh-huh. both times. And one time, what did I have to do to one? Of, I put a screwdriver. Through I've done one that many them. times. What did I do to the other one? I think it had um, like a seventeen millimeter. Oh yeah, on square the on yep. the end of it. And I think I put a wrench on it and then beat it off with a hammer. I understand phrasing. phrasing. I do. But I did. I, you beat, I, did, you beat, I beat that filter off. With a like hammer. Right off. With a hammer. And I was not. And the, I was pissed. Oh, I was like, I, this should never be this fucking tight ever. Nope. The last time I was at Harbor Freight, they had one of those oil filter plier things for like yeah. $7. I'm like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that. I think I had one of those and I smashed the filter. I yeah. should have just shut yeah, the you, screwdriver you, you, through. You got to just keep crushing it until it doesn't crush anymore, and then you take a just smaller pliers and spin it off. Yeah, I was, I was mad because yeah, your filter should never be that tight. It's never. ridiculous. No, you just need a seal. Just seal it up. Yep, that's it. But what else have you done? Uh, well, let me wrap this up. Oh, because I gotta do. I gotta continue to pretend being Adam, and then we can <laughs> we can move on to not being Adam, right? Because we got to fill the void. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phrasing, but yeah. Um, I totally lost my train you of were, thought there when I was... You were but, talking about oil changes. I was talking about oil Okay, so anyway, we can be done with that. Uh, don't forget to check out factorfabrication.com. Um, you were over there the other day. What did you say he was doing? He had some, like, monolith that he was building of a staircase, or what What was it? He has this, like, huge... Oh, God. How do I even describe this? Because I, I, I should have taken a picture. It's ridiculous. It's a piece of spiraled steel, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's a huge piece of steel, like a long piece of steel, like a, not like an angle iron, but, like, you know, something yeah. like that. In equivalent in size, he's got two of them, and it, it's going to be a spiral or not a spiral, but like a a staircase that goes up and around a winding staircase yeah, sort like, of thing, like you'd see in like like a big fancy gala, like you know when they yeah. when they come down the stairs all fancy, right? That's what it looked like. But he had to have some company like special bend it for him in Chicago, right? in Chicago, and then ship, and then it, ship here. it here. Yeah, that's insane. It's it's massive. We should ask him what that's what that's for if I want to see us. when it's done he needs to post pictures of that it's yeah I just kind of stood there like do you have like drawings or like renderings so I have a, I can picture this nah it's right here he points to his head 
Come on, man. I need I need. You're renderings. an engineer. That doesn't yeah. help you at no. all. No. I need drawings. I we deal with drawings all the time, you, too. You can't describe something to me. I need to see it. But I know it's going to turn out great, and like all this other stuff's awesome, but... yeah. Yeah, I'm, the engineer in me is like, oh, no, you need drawings and dimensions, and <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this makes me uncomfortable. How are we supposed to QC this? How am I supposed to check the tolerances? Yeah. Factorfabrication.com, Factor Fabrication on all the Instagram, social media, all that stuff. Uh, check it out. Um, we'll have to harass him about that project, Definitely. maybe, and yeah, see he's, if he can give us he's some awesome. more details. Yep. So let's talk about Hot Import Nights first, because that's where you went. Okay. Yeah, so I went to Hot Import Nights, and uh, hold on, I'm trying to do things at once. Yeah, he's trying to pull up some pictures. So hey. I hadn't been there in like three years, and I kind of re- reminded myself why I only go to these like once every three Did years. Did you listen to Teriyaki Boys for four hours old, the whole way up there? Yeah, Jess got real annoyed after hour three. <laughs> she left. She was just <laughs> like, she's like, she just bailed out let on the me freeway. Out. I'll stay at the gas, I'll stay in. Yeah, uh, this Motel 6 here, yeah, this is fine. Go do your thing. But no, um, so... It was Saturday, so then, like, we didn't get out of town to Saturday till like, 10 o'clock. Drove up there, one of the last few people to roll in, just backed the car off the trailer, drove straight in, well, you know, backed up into my spot, and that was it. I was like, so, show starts at 4, we got there, like, you know, settled in, cleaned up, ready to go at 3. It doesn't start till 4 p.m.? Uh-uh. So it is nights, It literally. Sure. It, it, it's not just nights, it's all afternoon, basically. It feels like all afternoon, and then nights. So it goes from the the spectators are there from four until eleven. Okay. So I, you could show up at noon if you wanted, and I showed up about two thirty. Okay. And then yeah, by the time I got the car clean, it was three. But it's at Canterbury Park, which is kind of cool because you can go in and watch the horse races. You can go to the casino. You can bet on horse racing. They had a bunch of like wiener dog races that yesterday, uh, that Saturday, so it was kind of fun to watch that. So I mean, that was kind of cool when. You know, a car show gets boring after hour three. Oh yeah, or four. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it didn't take us long, and yeah, I get. I don't know. I just get kind of sick of it. I mean, it's it's, it's a great show. I mean, there's a couple hundred people there, or a couple hundred cars there. It seemed. Here, I can pull up pictures, but it just. Well, to that point, I I would have been bored at um, hour two. What did I? What did I go? What, where was it that I went to? I can't even remember the name of it. Shows how in tune I am. When I went down to Kansas, what was the name of that show? Import Face Off. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I would have been out of stuff to do yeah, in a couple well, hours. Well, they had drifting and drag racing, so right. that helped. Yeah, they had horse racing here, so that kind of helped. It's not But like, you, if you look at these pictures, and I, I understand it's terrible for a radio show, but there's only... There's not that many cars. Like 150 cars, which mm-hmm. is kind of annoying when they give out top 100... I bet I saw 40 of those stickers, 20 of which were vendor cars. Ah. So I was like at 10 o'clock, I'm walking around going, there's not a hundred of these stickers out. There's no way. Hmm. And then, and then of course I'm kind of disgruntled because my car is parked next to a Honda S2000, but there's nothing special about the Honda S2000 except it has a spoon hard top. Sure. That's it. Maybe, yeah. maybe Rams. I don't remember. JDM bro. He was hot 100. Sure. He was. I was not, I'm not, I'm not bitter. Yeah, I man, I really don't give a shit. But it's just kind of like, really, what, what the fuck yeah. are we doing here? You weren't you you got you brought an LS swap two forty. They were not pleased with that. Uh, yeah, probably. But what's kind of funny is I was the only LS there without a turbo. 
That's interesting. Yeah, all the other three were all drag race <laughs> setups, basically, and had turbos. Were they actual drag race setups, or were they like for show? I think they were setups. actual. It's hard. Just the three hundred and fifty Z looked pretty serious, and then I, don't, I can't remember if this was a SS or not. Oh, the IS, the Lexus IS. Yeah, that's that, pretty. Sick. That one's a pretty serious build. Yeah, that was cool. But yeah, um, yeah, so I was the only one non-turbo LS. But yeah, I mean, a car show from four to. 11's kind of long and it and i enjoy it because it's nostalgic to me because i really liked around 2007 when it was really at its peak i remember going up there when it was in the convention center and it was like it took up two of the convention rooms i guess is what you would call those Mm -hmm. and on either end of the um rooms there would be a a different stage with concerts all night so like i I saw asher roth before he got big with that i love college song oh yeah yeah yeah. so in 2007 he was there and he would he performed that, that next year. I think I Love College came out or oh. something along that, yeah. that timeline. But back then it was huge, and the, you could be there from four to ten and not really get bored. You could go watch the bikini contest or yeah. concerts or you know whatever. Yeah, and there were way more vendors then. So like every year I go to this, I'm, I'm nostalgic, thinking it's gonna be 2007 all over again. Yeah, and it's not. It's never that good. No. Mm. So, I mean, it was fine, but it was kind of funny watching the bikini contest stand next to Jess, and she's looking at me like, "Really? These 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 are, these are your models?" I'm like, "You can get up there if you want." Yeah, but you know, she she doesn't crave attention, so yeah, yeah. It was just kind of funny. She's sitting there going like, "These are your models, loser. You're into that." It's maybe not at its peak anymore. <laughs> it's not attracting the just, same talent make, that it used to, making, right? Making fun of me. But yeah, that's so awkward because they're doing a bikini contest. Yeah. And this would really get under your skin because it, the audio engineers either don't exist or are the worst ever. Yeah. So one person, the MC, has a mic that works. No one else does. Of course not. So he's, he hands these mics to the models and, and they're asks, off. Asks, asks them questions and they're on, but you can't hear a freaking thing. So it's like... <laughs> Nothing. You nothing. Like the you can't hear a word they're saying. It's just mumbling. Perfect. So then they do the whole bikini contest and they ask these girls all these questions and they tell them to dance. It's so awkward Weird. and uncomfortable. Yeah. Because the crowd's really not big enough for it and really not into it enough. And unless they're dancing like a stripper, everyone's just like golf clap. It's just awkward. It's super weird. And that then, makes me uncomfortable just thinking about it. Yep. And then they haven't changed because in, in two, three years ago when I went, we stuck around just watched. I wanted to see who won everything. I, I wasn't even in the mm-hmm. show. I was just there. No, I was in the show. But again, I didn't. I knew I wasn't going to win anything. Yeah. So we stuck around and watched the, you know, the trophies and stuff. And they brought all the models back up to announce Miss Hin. And they interviewed him again for a half hour. <laughs> so from like they brought everybody into the building at ten and said, "Hey, let's uh." Let's get let's just let's get let's Miss Hin, let's yeah. Miss Hin, and then we'll do the trophies, and uh, we'll go. They kept feeding them vendor food. Like, well, what do you think of this vendor food for a half hour? Then wow. they didn't even start giving out trophies till ten thirty, and people are like booing and complaining. It was a repeat this year. They've done it the exact same way for the Lit- past three years. Literally the exact same thing. Everyone got called in at ten, interviewed the girls again, announced Miss Hin, and at this point it's like ten thirty. And we're supposed to, like, no one's allowed to leave until 11, mm-hmm. but I'm noticing that, like, everyone's in the building, and all the vendors are starting to bring their food trucks out, and they're letting them leave. Like, I'm just going to push some hands here and 
see if I can get drive up to the gate and see if they'll let me go. They did. I appreciated that. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's cool once in a while, but yeah, I, I just can't do the, a car show. I just like, think it's, I think it's past its, it's past its prime a little bit, you know, and there I, needs to be something else. I think that's why grid life works. There just needs to be something else there to kind of make it, it's, it's evolved. It's changed. I would say so. Um, and I, I've changed. There's no denying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without definitely. a doubt. But the culture around it, I think, has changed, though, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that, you know, maybe maybe that works at a certain level. You know, maybe it continues to work at that level. I just don't think it's going to get any bigger unless they change something significantly about it. I think it makes a lot of sense for Import Faceoff to do, you know, the drifting stuff. I think yeah. that helps a lot. That brings in a different crowd. So the people that want to do car show, can do the car show scene, can yep. still do it. People can do the drift stuff. You know, you can intermingle or not or whatever you want to do. But straight-up car shows, I think, are, are you know, a struggle. Uh, yeah. I could, I could do cars and coffee because I'm there for an hour, hour and a half. I drink my coffee. Yeah. Know, BS with people I know. and casual. You come in. Come, you make of it what you want to make of it. And just, yeah, book it. But and yeah, that's fine. But, yeah, yeah the this, this structured car show where you pay to be in there and then you sit there for eight, six hours, it's just, mm-hmm. it's taxing. And I so, I mean, like, and then it kind of started raining for a while, which didn't really help anything either. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I brought the camera. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do. A, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really represent Ten Tens podcast. I'm gonna get some awesome pictures. I took like an hour's worth of pictures before I said between the crowds, yeah, the rain. You know, I the only way to get a picture, I would have to kind of get where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You know, get in my position, and then wait. and then wait, yeah, until there was a crowd on either side of me, like Moses. Like part in the seats, bam, and, and then take just that wait, shot. wait for everyone to just watch me do it, and then I take my shot, and then I look at it, I'm like, I didn't like I need that. to move. <laughs> so then I take a step to like the left or the right and get my spot and do it all over again. I mean, luckily yeah. people are relatively polite, but it's just, I can't. It's hard, man. It's really hard to take pictures of car shows. I'm not a fan I, of I it. I got I got super frustrated and super bored because grid life completely spoiled me. Those pictures turned out way better than I ever thought they could. I enjoyed taking the pictures, even if I took 3,000 of them that got thrown away or however many mm-hmm. more it was, 5,000 I threw away. I actually enjoyed all that time. But standing there and like, no, that didn't turn out. And then I, you know, <laughs> take a step to the left. Yeah. No, that didn't, my, my light's off. And, you know, then I'm trying to, I'm messing with the lighting because it's dark inside, but, you know, lights are flashing. So if I get it just right or wrong, it you get ruins a bad the exposure. Shot. Yeah. So that wasn't fun. Yep. And, no, so, I get that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, could be super great, but it, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I want it to be what it used to be. I just can't do it anymore. There's times when I think about the way that I perceived cars, you know, in Fast and the Furious in the early years of the franchise. Yep. That doesn't seem to exist anymore, and that's kind of sad. Yeah, like the early 2000s was when this was fun. Yeah. At least in my eyes. And, I, and you know, again, maybe it's... The people, maybe it's me, maybe it's... it's, It it could be me. But that, that, I don't know if there was a sense of wonderment or, yeah, maybe it's a sense of wonderment of not knowing, you know, of not, not, you know, oh, there's something else to discover. Like, wow, I've never seen that before and this and that. Oh, you know, this all is so cool. And, you know, not seeing, um, you know, know, not seeing the shitty, you know, cutting corners things that people do. And, you know, just like, wow, this is crazy, you know, and, and there's something about about that time period that's 
it's probably I'm probably over romanticizing it, but it's really it's really cool. It's a yeah. cool memory. But that doesn't like you can't find that anymore. No, yeah, we, I mean, Heidelberg Nights is trying to repeat what it, what it was. I think. Yeah, and it can't. Yeah, it's it's gone. The sponsors, that era the is spo- gone. The sponsors are gone. The era is gone. I mean, there's a decent enough people, decent number of cars that showed up that would definitely qualify in that. Because mm-hmm. like even the car that really surprised me and won was a Star Wars themed Nissan hard body pickup. Yeah. Um, I think he got hottest Nissan and like some like best of show type rip award, mm-hmm. which is really surprising. I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought for sure it was just going to go to like 18 the, GTRs, the GTR with the TV in it. And you know, it's, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a very awesome car, but it's not very it's just, interesting. It's just clean. I mean, yeah. nothing special. So yeah. So the fact that they actually gave this Star Wars themed, all the awards I thought it deserved, which is really funny that I would say that about a Star Wars themed car. That that that's Star Trek, I think. When I look at that, oh Boba Fett, it's the Boba Fett from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. And yeah. who's gonna correct us? Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Darth but, Vader from Battlestar Galactica. But, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I was honestly happy to see like the number of like there was different cars there. There was one Bro Dozer, you know that whatever car that was that on the 34 inch rims 34s mm-hmm. that's insane 34s where do you even get those i don't i don't have a clue but <laughs> what do you have to pay for and he had he had leopard or not leopard uh, alligator red alligator skin leather uh seats but of course it started raining so i didn't get any pictures of it yeah so yeah i took like 200 pictures and just like you know what this sucks I'm not. I'm not enjoying myself. I don't. No, I don't care. It's not fun. Yeah. So I had a few that turned out though. So I was kind of happy about that. But yeah. You know, flip side of the coin is though, if they stopped doing that, we'd be all like, man, remember the days? Yeah, people go to car great. shows, man. Everybody would have this crazy crap and giant wheels and. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And maybe if I never had gone to the good ones, like yeah, like, you know, back like early two thousands, maybe these would be still more fun to me. Yeah, I mean, it didn't take long for me to just kind of like, you want to go watch some horse races? Let's go do something else. <laughs> Which is super weird to me that there's three stories. Like, we're not even talking about the car show anymore. There's three stories of that casino. First story is like food and like the regular casino, like uh, blackjack and mm-hmm. poker tournaments going on. Second floor is like for the hoity-toity people with their private oh, big, big pri- money tables. No, 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 private rooms to watch the horse races, like or oh. not rooms, but yeah, yeah, yeah. suites. Yep. And then the third floor is people watching horse racing on TV screens, literally just betting. Yeah, like serious betting. Yep. That's crazy to me. Like they weren't even watching the races; they were just sitting there, like on their score sheets, just throwing money around. That's a whole. So we're, it's a world, man. I don't get it's that. It's a world one. that people live in. Yeah. A dangerous one, too. I think you could actually bet on the wiener dog races. Fuck yeah, dude. I would have thrown $5 in on the wiener dog races. Why not? The best part was one was called Lambo. So like, <laughs> and this one's Lambo. And all the Vikings are like, boo! <laughs> and then they're like, and then Lambo's in fourth. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, uh, so people were asking me, like, are you going to go to Ice Cream Cruise? No, dude, I'm car showed out. That was it. I one can't. and done. I can't. I'm I'm sick of it. That's I, bigger. I, that's a lot bigger. Ice Cream Cruise? Yeah. 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 I think Ice Cream Cruise would probably be, probably be even better just because it has a little yeah. less... There's B- some racing BS and stuff going on. on. Yeah. I just... I don't know. Never done it. I probably will do it. Not this weekend. No. I, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, how I feel right now. Like, uh, not this weekend. Every year I say, yeah, sure. And then I don't. I just don't want to... I just want to go this weekend. Well, then I'll be there the next weekend for racing, so... 
Yeah, so that makes sense. You don't want to drive out there two weekends in a row. No. So, is that it for hot import nights, you think? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I'll, pr- I'll probably go again eventually, but I don't know. Not I'm not not now. Not excited. Give it some time. It. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's move it on to the news because this is gonna be the longest show we've ever made. That's fine. <laughs> let's just go to the news. All right. Uh first one up here, AM or Mercedes AMG, which is that's a good I like that brand. That's a nice it's brand. BMW, Mercedes, uh Porsche podcast. Yeah. Um their AMG GT four door brings back the monoblock wheels. I'm really and you got a picture of it here. I'm really disappointed Adam's not here. Because I would rain on his parade. Why? Because you don't like them? They're awful. I like them because they're uh, kind of vintage Yeah. I like that part of it. It's nostalgia. It's, it's <laughs> Objectively, yeah, it's probably not a great looking wheel. But I like those... Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been able to remember the name of it anyway. There's a set of of like... Or work the work wheels. The work... Yeah, the the monoblocks. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what the model is, but... I like those a lot. Um, I'm I'm all right with this. Oh, see, I guess I'm too. I never really like this style, and it's kind of like it's not really a great comparison. But the Avalanche has something similar to this. A five spoke kind of. Yeah, it's just real shitty. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't know if it, it works super great on that car. Which no, I don't not. even know what cars Mercedes makes anymore, or Audi or BMW for that matter. Couldn't tell. Um, Based on the article, it sounds like this is a copy of another car that they make which well is- so this is so this is the amg uh, what's this thing actually gt four-door coupe it's not called that you can't call a it's car the mercedes that. amg gt four-door coupe i'm it, serious oh you wait i uh, don't hold on a second I, just, I, I i'm quite certain that's what it's called i'm not gonna the amg mercedes amg gt four-door coupe coupe no wait Yes? No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. That's Why would you name a car that's what that? It's that's the stupidest name for a car. The problem with this car is it's it's based on the E class. Yes. Which is a four door. Yes. Already. Which and then based on the E class is the CLS, which is already a four door like the uh-huh. E class, but also a coupe uh-huh. like this car. And yeah. now there's this car. Yeah, but this one has uh uh the mon- wheels. monoblock wheels. And a big grill. Like At what point do car manufacturers just make way too many cars? Are we're, we past that point? I think we're there. I feel like we're there. At least with some companies. Well, I, don't, I just don't understand why this car has to exist. They have the CLS, which was available, at least it used to be, in an AMG package. Right. Why don't you just have that? Yeah, then just why sell, do we need just give this? give us these rims as an option. Right. That seems like a whole bunch more money and dicking around uh-huh. to make a whole other car that's based on two other cars that you already make that's the same size. Yeah. And has the same number of doors. That's not even including the <laughs> E-Class Coupe, which is another car that they make based on the E-Class. Yeah, I'm not into that. Seems ridiculous. I'm not into it. I'm not into the rims. I, I don't know. I'd rather just have like a normal five-spoke, especially on a four-door coupe. So, yeah, I guess for people that are, it doesn't work very well as, as a podcast. They're just basically they're wheels that are more or less solid. It's a solid they, wheel with like little cutouts. Yeah, that make it look edges. like a five spoke. But I think I'd, people know what a monoblock wheel is. They're thirty seven hundred euros. If you paint them black, they're forty five hundred. That's too much money. <laughs> <laughs> what did they do with the other wheels? Where are the other wheels that these the, are forty three hundred dollars? Yeah, these have to be like forty. Are these ten thousand the dollar wheels. What's going on here? That's insane. They gotta be heavy as shit too. 
You would think so. Unless, yeah, unless they're made out of magnesium or something, which they, I don't know why they explode. Would. Yeah, burn a white hot fire. Let's move on. Is there yeah. some, we have other things that we can be upset about. Yeah, Shall definitely. we move on? Uh, the government has asked you, the people, to stop stepping out of moving cars to dance to Drake's new song. So I had to look this up because I didn't know that this was a thing. <laughs> I've seen the articles, hadn't heard the song, had no flipping clue what they were talking about. What's even the name of the song? I don't know. Oh, I didn't write that down. Shoot, on my I had head. it too. Okay. So something, basically the National Transport feelings. Safety Board, um, In My Feelings, has said there's this In My Feelings dance challenge, um, which has started out somewhat innocently it was just a famous i think he was a comedian even dancing in a street to drake's new song right and then people started copying that by jumping out of their cars to while dance in the street while it's moving and getting hit by cars yeah I'm, I'm shocked this went that way i'm shocked things went south you're shocked that the government's having to tell people not yeah. to jump out of moving cars? this generation i'm just shocked that something like this would happen oh wait Am I laying it on thick enough yet? What if we just tell them... Keep doing it. What if we just <laughs> not stop them? That's what I'm saying. The challenge is who can do it the fastest. <laughs> the challenge is who can not die. Oh, you're going 10 miles an hour? Ooh. Oh, I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, let's get, see, get the speed up. Let's see who can go doing it like 40. There's a video of the one girl. She jumps out of the car, had him been going 20 miles an hour. Just the car was bam! moving, and she was gone. And she, just, <laughs> she disappeared. I wonder what... I'm sh- yeah, it's just no shit. But yeah, there's, I mean, basically, you just search In My Feelings Challenge, and it's just news article after news article of somebody jumping out of a car and then just getting leveled by <laughs> traffic. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. That's funny. It's- what they should, what, what somebody should do is like get in with the NTSB and be like, hey, hold on a second, guys. I got an idea. Let's just let it happen. Let's just see this, what happens. This won't be a the problem pro- in a month. Well, so the thing that sucks is like the the you know the normal guy that's driving in the street that runs over some girl or some guy that yeah. was doing something stupid, and then he's got to live with that for the rest of his that's life. True. You know, and it's it the innocent, totally it's the innocent person. Yeah, totally not his fault, but he still ran him over, and so he's got to deal with that guilt or whatever. And yeah. I get that. That's pretty messed up, but. You know, if I mean, you run yourself over with your own car, that seems pretty. You know. These guys aren't going to be doctors and CEOs. I mean, really. They're jumping out of moving cars. I have a hard time feeling Caring? bad. Yeah, I really do. Plus, I don't like Drake, so it's this whole thing is... Yeah, I don't... It's the Tide Pod shit all over again. I just don't get it. It's... Yeah. It's interesting that we live in a time when people do things that they know that they should know is really stupid for Instagram. And I've done really stupid stuff. Like I was a fan of Jackass and Viva La Bam and all that stuff. I skated. I dangerous stunts. I was all about it. This is actually something they just retweeted it on this Jalopnik article. It's a girl. It's on her Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And she jumps out of this car and she just gets level. And the funny <laughs> thing is she holds onto the door. So the door shuts behind her. So the <laughs> car just, I want to know what happened to the car. Oh. <laughs> Where's the car? gone and then her hashtag is wait a second i, I almost died yeah wait out here i'm watching one. Oh shit that girl was going like 15 <laughs> miles an hour gone yep now well <laughs> so you gonna say now we're gonna need like stupid child safety locks but they already exist <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the world that we live in i don't know yeah, we, just, we don't I, have any way to fix that right now but that's what's going on i blame drake even though it has nothing to do with it 
Nissan has finally dropped that stupid juke no! from the, the U.S. No! lineup. Yes, it's gone finally. Ah. Sales were down 48% this year. That's a lot. That's embarrassing. Oh, wait, I was going to look up whatever the hell this thing is. So they replaced it with this Nissan Kick, technically. Oh, did they really? Which is, I think... I don't even know what that is. Um, I don't think it looks bad. Nissan Kicks. Why is it's there... not a bad looking thing. Is it ki- it's kicks, kicks with an S. Kicks, yeah. There's it's plural. Yeah, but I think it's I think you oh, just buy them. It's just a. It's I a... think you buy them individually though. But <laughs> no, I don't think it comes in a pair. Is it what clearly, I'm it clearly says kicks, Mister Dealer. Yeah, but I I'm think here for, I I'm here think, for both of my kicks. I think when you, I don't think it's a two for one special deal. You know, when, when you buy when shoes I, and one, yeah, when two I go come in, in a box, when I go in for Jordans, I get two. Yeah. Just no, like, I get that. I get my kicks. I get that. Well, Nissan has an issue that they need to address. Um, I'll be honest. This looks like a rogue mashed with a juke. It does look like a rogue and a juke together. Yep. Wait, what was the smaller one? Or was that the rogue? The rogue. Isn't there a middle Maxima one? Maxima is the bigger one. And then the Pathfinder is your No, no, no. Maxima is Wait a second. How many SUVs do they make? Like a bunch. Because they, they got the juke, the rogue, now the kicks, Maxima, um... Not Maxima. Uh, What's that called? The other one. Not the really. Ultima. No, that's a, their car. The Murado. It's it's the bigger Juke or the bigger. Oh, Murano. The, that's Murano. what that's what I was trying to come up with. The, yeah. yeah. So you got the Murano, then you got the Pathfinder, and then you got the Armada. That's that's too many. That's still too many. That's less than. So now they make okay. So they make the Kicks. <laughs> kicks. Yeah. Dumb. The Rogue Sport, which is apparently different than the Rogue, the Murano, the Pathfinder, the Murano, or the Armada, which is what you said. What's a Rogue? Did you have a Rogue Sport? No, I had a Rogue with a Sport button. Hold on a second. Let's see what this Rogue... Oh, it's a 2018 and a half Nissan Rogue Sport. I don't know what, it, got what, CVT, it, what does it so do. It it's got 141 horsepower, so you know it's uh, sporty. Fast. I have no idea why this is a Sport. Well, it's just like the Edge being a sport. It's just got big-ass rims on it. Actually, this doesn't even have that big-ass rims on it. It's just... I don't understand what's going on here. It's I don't so know. you can it's... shred tires at the track. Shred tires at... Yeah, no, you're right. I, you know, here's an interesting thing, too. You type in Nissan.com. Uh, that is that is not Nissan's website. It's Nissan Motors, ain't it? Yeah, it's Nissan Motors lawsuit against us. Yeah. I don't know what yeah, this somebody, is. Yeah, somebody is... owns Nissan.com and then Nissan... Oh, they're coming after them to yeah, try to yeah. get it. That's pretty funny. They must get a lot of hits on that website. They have to. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, this is dead. Sales were bad. Uh, they apparently sold a million of them, though. Not here. No, they sold they sold like 100,000 last year in Europe. It's popular in Europe. It could be popular here if they would have just gave you the options to make it cool. They- I agree. The things that you probably wanted, you probably could have gotten in Europe. Yeah. Like manual transmissions in with your, everything. In your Nismo, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what everyone wants is a CVT Nismo edition. Isn't the uh, did are they doing a, a Nismo? What is that thing? They're these car companies make way too many cars. Isn't there a new Nismo, the small thing? The three seventy Z. No, the front wheel drive car. Altima. No, the smaller one than that. There's nothing smaller than the Altima. Cappuccino? <laughs> yes. That's, actually, I want a, <laughs> a Suzuki Cappuccino. So there's the Sentra. 
Oh, the Sentra. Or was it just an SR package? Yeah, probably. The Sentra is bigger than the Altima, though. Because it goes Altima, Sentra, Maxima. I don't think that's true. I think, I think it you're is. You're lying to no. me. No. So this is the problem with car companies right now. Altima's, None of this shit makes any sense. Altima, well, no, maybe that's changed. I thought this, it used to be the Altima was smallest, then it was Sentra. Yeah, I, th- I think so now. the Altima was like the Corolla. Here, I'll tell you, because no. there's a list here. I'll tell you what their <laughs> list is. It's the Versa. So there's a Versa. Yeah, that's can have a Versa. That's a piece of junk car. There's a Versa Note. What? Which I assume is the same thing as the Sport it's Package. Like a, no, it's like a Samsung Note versus There's like Galaxy. a Leaf. There's a Leaf. Yeah. You can have one of those. Then the Sentra. Yep. Then the Ultima, then oh. the Maxima. That's how they show it on their website. Well, then I was size wrong. wise. Yeah, it's all garbage. All of it's terrible. It's too many. That's the long and short of it is that there's way too many cars. Yeah. Let's move on to the next thing. Okay. Uh, the 700 horsepower Brabham. I think Bra- I said Brabham. that. Brabham. Uh, BT62 can be made road legal. I really just want to talk about this because I found my new favorite car. It's the Brabham? Yes. The Brabham? This thing is super awesome. The Broham BT62? I would totally call it the Broham if I owned one. I think that's fair. You could do stuff to it. like. Well, if do, do, do you want to make it faster? How about making it slower? Making it slower would probably be a just, great option. You could just put like, stickers and... Yeah, I modified and, it to make it slower because it's put, like, stupid. 700 horsepower. How could a car have monster. 700 horsepower and weigh 2,100 pounds? That's too mi- it's oh, too much and too little at the same time. That's so great. And it's gorgeous. It is a good looking car. Did you find a price? I'm sure it's very expensive. It's 1.2 million euros? Yeah, whatever. It's just money. It, it's a million euros plus something. So they they claim they can make it road legal, but you have to maintain some sort of UK road stamp thing on it? Yeah, so if you buy it from them and, um, as a UK registered vehicle, so they'll ship it to us pagans in Iowa. Yeah. So, we'll just say it's 1.5 million, and then we can drive it for a year, but then we have to ship it back at their expense to the UK, where they will resell At our expense. No, their expense, for the first two years. What? They'll pay for that nonsense? For the first two years. Oh, wow. That's so a deal th- now. Then you, then you send it back, and then they recertify it under the UK, because it, it can't stay in the United States for more than 12 months. It's kind of like the show and display thing. You yeah. can have a GTR here for a year but then it can't stay here it has to go back otherwise it's illegal well what okay so i understand what they're trying to do here they found this loophole Uh and it seems to work everywhere it sounds like what i would wonder about is if they they chose like a company to put the car back together and they ship the drivetrain and the car separately and then that company put it together and you registered it as a kit car no, I don't think even... I think it's registered... It, the way it sounded, it was registered in the UK. Yeah, but I'm saying, I wonder if you could just skip all that bullshit. Oh. Have them ship the car in two pieces, have someone here that they choose put it together, and yeah, then have it registered as... It's, of course, car. in Iowa. I wonder if you could get it over here and say, ah, I built this in my garage, and they go... Sure. Yeah, okay. And you could Florida, for it. sure. Yeah. I don't. I think you could get around here. I think for you how could probably few, get around it for how few of them there are, and and, and you know, unless you want it as like a show and display piece where you has it has to be a, an official Brabham car. Yeah, I think, you, and maybe they're like uh, the Sin Sin R one. Is that what's called? Yeah, where they have a, they don't want that, which I could still. Understand. I understand that they would not want that, especially Brabham. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I would if I had the means. This this this, this is, this is where car, your money would man. go. This is it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Green and gold, I don't care. I would, you know, uh, 
if I was if I was registering it as a kit car, I would probably have a moment where I went. I spent one point five million dollars on a, a kit, kit car, and yeah, I could have yeah. bought that factory five uh, GT whatever GTM it is. for yeah like done like seven hundred horsepower for one hundred fifty. Yeah, and it would be really <laughs> nice at one fifty. So literally a tenth, like probably probably under a hundred. Like even if you bought old all new parts, I bet you could put a GTM together for a hundred grand. Um, brand new like my LS nine, all that stuff. Yeah, my understanding is that the amount of work going into the body kit and stuff, making it fit good. There's that's where your hundred grand. Come on, goes. Factory Five. They don't have that together. Well, They're like mean, the it, biggest kit car company. They are, but it doesn't mean it's not a lot of work to make it pretty. That's where it's it falls. Still, it's, that's it's, where it it's falls still off. A fi- for me. It's still a fiberglass mold. That that's I mean. where it falls down for me because if I'm going to spend, it's what twenty grand? I think it's twenty five grand. Let's see. So the kit starts at twenty five grand. If I'm going to spend twenty five grand on a car that has no drivetrain, so the tube chassis with some panels on it, basically, yep. I want that stuff to fit pretty well. Yeah, I think not that, perfect. No, I understand. But I that's the one thing. Okay, I don't have to mess with that. That's I'll put it together, paint it, it's done. Yeah, that's that. Don't, yeah, twenty five grand, that, no paint. That that's the other that problem. That doesn't too. exist. I don't. I don't think, especially on that car, it might have gotten better over the years as they've developed it. But there was some somebody that worked for a company that basically built those. And they said I, they I was, had to I, yeah, finesse he, them to make goes, them work. There was, there was specific things he knew exactly what he had to fix every single time. To be fair, this kit car for them is very old. It's probably one of the oldest oh, yeah. kits that they make. That's you know not something else. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. I remember. I think even in high school, I was interested in this car. But uh, yeah, I'm looking don't, at it again, and I am thinking that yeah. that would be a good idea. Don't get me wrong, kit car is on my bucket list without a doubt. But yeah, the one I like has lawsuits against them because they don't deliver. Apparently, which one's that? DDR Motorsport. Oh, they're in trouble because they, they took some money and since forever. I mean, there's oh there's, really? There's like a website dedicated to their oh. lawsuits. But I, I still, if if I had the option, <laughs> I'd think about it. Yeah, dude, you should look at <laughs> you should you should look at this GTM website. This is not good. This is not a good thing not to be a, looking at. You know, if you sell, if I sold everything, yeah, you could have like the I could ultimate, get to get the kit box. Oh, you want to know something really bad? What? There's one that got wrecked. Like, so like someone went off track with their GTM. Yeah, it's on eBay right now for thirty five. Thirty five grand. Uh huh. It's all together, but it needs new panels. Basically. Which uh, I'm sure you could get, uh-huh. absolutely, if you call them and it's say, a, I need but, uh, but it's a salvage titled kit car. So that, I think that, that is weird. Yeah, I know. That's a thing? I guess. Well, I suppose I, they want it off the road till it's the safety stuff's fixed, turn right. signals, all that stuff. Yeah. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. No, and I saw the price tag on that. I was like, man, you could, they're, fix, when, you could when, fix that. When they're together and people sell them, they're expensive. Oh, I mean, yeah. They're like 70 grand. The one that I saw going down the interstate that just Blue by me uh, a couple weeks ago. Man, that looked good. Looked real good. All black, black on black. Yeah, I'm down for that. I still like that Vader body kit, even though it's, I know it's objectively probably terrible, but for some reason I like it. Hey, it's your car. It is my it car. It could be your car. It could be my car. I'll even put the Lambo doors on it and everything. I saw a Pontiac Solstice with Lambo doors yesterday. A Solstice? Uh-huh. Why didn't he buy a Sky? Bone stock Solstice. Did you ask him? I didn't stop. You should have been like, hey, man, why didn't you buy a Sky? Yeah, you clearly care about looks because you put, Lambo- put those Lambo doors on and you bought this stupid, stupid terrible looking car. Solstice, This is yeah. ridiculous. Maybe you couldn't find a Sky. Probably not because they're super popular. I mean, they're, they're worth they're worth quite a bit more they're than They're way the sky. better than the Solstice. You can get a GXP all day for like four or $5,000. Yeah. Nobody even gives a shit. <laughs> 
Sky, however, 50, 60 we're grand. Getting, we're getting a phone call right now from Adam. <laughs> the series, you, you could like time it. You could mark it, the time markers on the show, and then you could go to our chat thread and you could see the, hey, fucker, hey, fucker. Yeah. Oh, man. But Is yeah, wrap him. Yeah, it's cool. I dig it. It's carbon fiber. It works out well for them. Hopefully they can uh, sell some cars. The other thing I wonder, you know, if they're a small manufacturer, I wonder what that law is in the U.S. Maybe they could you probably step like, through that. They're dealer. not making very many of them. Yeah, they're making less than 150 or 250 or whatever it was. Or maybe you have to have a base here. I don't know. But maybe they could put a, a man in a put a man in a suit in an office space that's 600 square feet and be like, hey, sell one car here. We'll be all right, bud. Yep. Okay. Can do. Yeah, and I then would. they could register them here and then I have to deal with all that. Yep. Yeah, then you're on, I think you're on your own after two years, so you would have to figure out a way to register it. Or, that would suck. That would be a pain. I could see that being yeah. absolutely stupidly expensive. A stupid nightmare. But is that it for news? I think so. Is there anything else you want to say while Adam's not here? Uh, No. Not really? I'll you're save good? it to say it to his face. Say it, say it to his face next week? Yeah. Um, no, no, not next off, week. We are next. off next week. Mr. Uh, Mr. Jet setting vacation. Guy. <laughs> it's just it's not it's not getting better. It's not a good look for me. But yeah, I'm on vacation next week. <laughs> Where are you going? I'm going to the lake house. <laughs> oh, that's not so bad. You're not jet setting. No, I'm not jet setting. No, I'm going to the lake house. Just going to family vacation or just, no. you, just you? Well, I'm meeting up with people at different places because uh-huh. we're going to Formula Drift. Oh, cool. And then I'm going to Kansas City. Oh man, for a while. So that'll be fun. Yeah. No, it'll be a good good vacation. Think it'd be better if you were jet setting so we could talk about it. We'll talk about it off the air. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's not that exciting, but it doesn't doesn't. No one help. else needs to know. It's the Porsche BMW <laughs> Mercedes podcast all over again. That's what I'm saying. It's not a good look for me personally. That's yeah, all good. Anyway, all right, we'll catch you guys in two weeks. <laughs>